Ladies and gentlemen, this is a long episode. I actually had a lot of fun talking to this guest. He had come uh, before. He'd contact me on the internet, checked out the farm last year, and took some photos and all that fun stuff. And he was getting his PDC, and then he contacted me again and said, Hey, like to be on your podcast? And I said, Yeah, let's do it. So he sent me an outline. He came and hung out with me and Rich. Him and I trolled Rich a little bit, which is always fun. Um, no, we all had a good time. We were joking around. We said we were trolling Rich. Um, but anyways, guys... Had a blast with this with this guest. I'm um, looking forward to get him on again in the future, and looking forward to doing similar episodes to this. But this is about two hours long, so hope you guys enjoy it. And I'm going to try to keep this intro short. Now, with that being said, I do want to say so. For some reason, I had the volume turned up on the Zoom a little too loud, so there's a little bit of feedback sometimes. I either need a new mic. I might need new mics. I've been using the same ones for five years, so. But that's not really your guys' problem, so I don't know why I'm telling you. I don't, but I'm glad that you guys are listening, or maybe you're not. Who knows? So with that being said, let's get into the affiliates. So guess what, guys? Go to newfarmsupply.com. There's a link in the show notes. Grant Schultz is selling nursery stock for the upcoming spring season, I believe. Let's take a look at that. So nursery inventory for 2018 keeping it to a limited selection, and at great pricing. Use code word SAMPLE and get 10% off your entire order. Um, it's a great it's a great deal, guys. I, Grant always has good stuff. I got chestnut trees from him. Um, so he has stuff for sale right now. Now, naturesimagefarm.com is another online nursery. Nothing for sale. Uh, Greg will probably have some stuff coming on sale for the fall. He had a hog for sale still, but I hadn't gotten an episode out. However, I was happy enough to send him a nice referral um, because I like Greg Burns. He's a good friend, so and I enjoy his pork. So the more people that eat his pork, the more joy and happiness that comes in the world. So you can check out naturesimagefarm.com, but there's nothing for sale. But I just like talking about naturesimagefarm.com. Check that out, guys. So, yeah. Um and then last but not least for the affiliates, if you go to ProfitableUrbanFarming.com, um, oh, and actually this isn't even going to be last. So ProfitableUrbanFarming.com, um, there's two links in the show notes. If you want to learn to be an urban farmer like myself, it's a great reference point. Um, and I think the more you do it, the more it's, easy, it's, it's better to look back at it. So I think this season, now that I'm actually doing it, I, I've used it as a reference multiple times. Um, and it's always good to just have as as a, as source material. So, um, but anyway, so yeah, so click on the link in the show notes. You could either get the whole whole. You could either save a hundred dollars um, by using the code word sample, or just click on the link in the show notes. Or you can sign up for the payment plan. That's what I did. So you can pay for the full amount, save a hundred dollars, or do a payment plan. And then last but not least, this prod this podcast is brought to you by audibletrial.com forward slash sample. So if you guys want to sign up for an Audible account um, and try out a book for free, you can definitely do that. So right now I am reading Intellectuals and Society by Thomas Sowell. It's a great book so far. Kind of getting sick of reading books, though, guys. I'm gonna probably 
and I've actually been listening to more podcasts recently. I, it's kind of weird. I went on like two years of just reading books and listening to books, and now I'm going back to podcasts. And you got to do that dance, man. You got to go back and forth, back and forth. I don't know what I'm talking about, but I appreciate you guys listening. And then if you guys just want to support the podcast and you don't really want to have any affiliates or anything like that, or you have no desire to do any of that stuff or buy anything there, you can become a patron. Um, so if you click on the link in the show notes, there's a link for my Patreon page. I am the worst page person on Patreon ever. Before the farm season started, I was putting out um, episodes and I was uploading episodes for patrons only. Um, I had not done that recently, so this is going to be the first one, and it's just coming out two days before, because it's, it's Tuesday, and this is coming out on Thursday, the main feed, and I'm going to upload some other episodes as well, so to everybody that is a patron, I really appreciate your your support, um, and then if you just want to donate money, you can do that too, so there's a PayPal link in the show notes. So feel free now. If you do have any cryptocurrency that you would like to donate, let me know what kind, and I will give you the barcode of my wall. I have no idea any of this stuff works, but I'm going to have my good buddy Daryl Becker on here in the near future to explain cryptocurrency. It was pretty interesting. I listened to that Peter Schiff interview with Rogan, and he was talking about gold, investing in gold. I was kind of sold on that. I'm not gonna lie, guys. I, I have no idea. I think it's I think if you do do that stuff though, treat it like a savings. Like don't put a lot of money in it. A lot of people are doing crazy stuff or they're trying to treat it like a rich quick get rich quick scheme. And as Thomas Sowell says, there are no free lunches, everyone. So um yeah, guys, Farm World's doing great. Uh hopefully I can get an episode, sit down with Rich and record. Gonna a buzzcast. I was actually gonna record a buzzcast today. But I got stuck in traffic and um, Greg was getting done and he was coming through town. And it just wasn't working out. So next week, look forward to ha- bringing you guys another Buzzcast. Sorry that podcast episodes have not been coming out as frequently as I would like them to. Um, but for the podcast to happen, I kind of have to have money to pay bills. And to have money to pay bills, I had to get good at this farming business. So I'm pretty happy, guys. I got, you know, farm is definitely paying majority of my bills i'm still doing some side hustles with skip the dishes and another delivery job as well um but yeah guys i mean i can pay my bills i'm pretty happy i'm grateful for all of you i don't think if if i didn't have this podcast i didn't have all the cool people that listen to it i don't i don't think i'd be doing the things i'd be doing right now and i don't think i'd be living the life that i'm living so I want to tell you guys that you will all make it happen and let you know how incredibly grateful I am that you guys listen and share the podcast with your friends. Um, if you want to help out and you have Apple, subscribe on iTunes. Apparently everything is based off of iTunes subscriptions now. But reviews are great too. So I think I'm only at like 16 reviews. So if I could get up to 20, that'd be amazing. Um And that's all I got, guys. So I hope you enjoy this show. And I'm looking forward to bringing you more episodes soon.
we've been talking for a while, so we can, you know, that's the nice thing about you coming down here, Tim, if we could get a conversation going. We did some group trolling of Rich. I think if you do a group troll, it's a great way to set up a podcast. That's right. For sure. Would you agree to that? I certainly would. Yeah, so today, today's podcast is brought to you by Cox Tree Service here in out of Worthington because on our way to Ray Race, we decided to get lunch before we recorded, and I finally found a tree service company that's looking for a place to dump wood chips. We have a big pile of freshly chipped pine in my driveway right next to the porch here. So... That's all I got. I was waiting on you to get jump in there. It's an impressive wood pile, I have to say. Very piney. <laughs> so I'm joined by Tim Keefe. It used to be O'Keefe, probably, back in the day. Long time ago. Before you were born. Yes. All right. Tim, you found the podcast via Charles Hugh Smith. Was it of two minds? Did you read read about it on the blog? or How, how did you find this thing? Well, I've been a fan of... Charles C. Smith, for quite a while, I read his blog, and I think I've been reading it for at least three to four years. And your podcast, I know that you and Charles have had a bunch, the, yeah, a bunch of podcasts on there, which I enjoy. But um, <clears throat> I think mainly I found you through just searching around on Pomer Culture when I started to get into, really? into it from a couple of years ago through Jack Spirko and all that. Huh, so you listen, So you did listen to Jack? Oh, yeah. Okay, we, yeah. Didn't, we didn't talk about that. I was like, I don't think he's a Jack Spirko, because Rich goes, he goes, has he... You listen to Jack, I go, I don't think so. We talked about that before. Did we? Yeah, because you remember the last time I was here with Damon? Is that yeah, uh, yeah. we talked Damon about that? Bingham. Bingman. David Bingman. Yeah. He's I think he's officially shut down his law for his his law practice. It wasn't a firm, it was just him. <laughs> it was a practice. <laughs> it was a practice, yeah. yeah. I think he's doing forex uh forex trading full time now, maybe. I don't know. I have to I have to catch up with him. I haven't hung out with Damon since Rich moved in. Um but yeah, man. Uh, yeah, we hung out. We had a good time. You you came down. It was a year ago, almost a year ago. Yeah. Yeah, and I didn't have anything going. It was actually funny because I just tarped everything, and I didn't have anything in the backyard like what I have right now because I just cropped out all that lettuce. Yeah. But lots of changes since you've been here. I wasn't full time. I remember. Um, yeah, but basically we talked. You said you were going to get a PDC. Mm-hmm. And then you wrote me about being on the podcast, and I was like, "Yeah, man, definitely." And then we have this nice, not really an outline thing, but these are potential topics. And uh, but I don't know. I, I feel like we've been hanging out. To, this is the second time we hung out. We hung out all day today. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you got here early, and we've had coffee. And you, Rich, and I have been hanging out. So I think it's you know that's the nice thing about podcasting is you just kind of get conversations going, and then it's like, okay, now we have like a. We have a flow, so now we can talk, and we can just talk. So this is a free form, free form, yeah. So, but you're an interesting guy, man. You're a pretty smart guy, pretty organized. I remember Damon and I talked about it, and uh, he's just like, "Yeah, he's a lot different than us. He's a lot. He's a lot more put together." Because <laughs> <laughs> me and Damon are both kind of well, Drew. Flattery will get you everywhere, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, uh, you know, Damon and I, we're a lot more. Uh, it's kind of goofy. Lackadaisical? La- I, I don't know if I'd say lackadaisical, but I would definitely say um, we're not as organized. That was one of our topics. It was it was my favorite one. Her bullet point was extreme introversion and a bit of Asperger's syndrome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So anyway, so let's 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 talk because I mean you're an interesting guy. You mm-hmm. you were in the military later on in life, and mm-hmm. and uh, there's a there's a jet flying over because this is a nice porch cast. So I'll probably edit this part out because that jet is really loud. Um, so anyways, no, no, actually we're broadcasting this from sixty thousand feet. Yes, yes, yes. We were actually on a jet, and there's a jet that's higher than us. I'm believing. <laughs> Do, do, do. Do, I don't do, 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 I don't know those words. I'm not gonna lie. Before your time, I think. It was a little bit before my time. So so let's talk about uh let's start here. Okay. So you hit me up initially when the first time you wrote me, um, and you said, Hey, uh I'm also from Ohio. I'm from the Akron Canton area. So let's start there. So Okay. You grew up. We're not going to say how old you are, but we are going to age you here. Mm-hmm. So you grew up in the in Ohio in the 70s and 80s. Yes. And you were comfortably situated in the Rust Belt in the Northeast Ohio, which we were we were talking cuz you had sent me an email before about uh maybe it was after the hill when me and Hunter talked about Hillbilly LG. Did you listen to that one with Hunter Mott's that podcast? I think so. Because you talked about, and th- and actually, I kind of want to, I really want to dive into this because I felt like, I was like, you know, there's something off about the liberal anointed um, man from Middletown, Ohio, who works for a tech company and is married to an Indian woman, an Indian woman, and... He talks about how he would get angry with her and all this stuff. And what is J.D. Vance? Mm -hmm. So J.D. Vance, I thought it was kind of off because I was like, you know what? I grew up, you know, hillbilly. My grandpa's from Kentucky. Uh, My grandpa would say I'm a hillbilly in denial. I should try to have J.D. on. And I decided that after I talked to Hunter. Like, that'd be a good conversation. I go to his website, and it's like this rough looking website where it has all these pictures right i felt like it was deliberately this rough sort of looks like jd made it himself mm-hmm. but there's no contact page there's no way to contact jd vance to have him and then i look and he's he's represented by the same people that just bought the ufc like that large fucking agency talent agency yeah he's represented by them there there's just a lot of things that Man, I, I'm not going to I mean, I, I definitely think his story is true, and I'm not trying to hate on it, but it seems like he was like this hand-picked guy, or he was, and then also, too, he was a, um, Columbus just got that, all that technology money, and his firm that he's the principal lawyer for, for that technology company, is behind that. I think you pointed that out. Mm-hmm. So there's some things that are pretty interesting about that. Yeah, I would hesitate to call it shady. It's more predictable than anything. Yeah. You know, the fact that... um, It's something I noticed over the years, and I always try to caution people about this, is when you're looking at somebody who has made it, whatever that means, you look at, number one, where they came from, and number two, who's the people that have anointed them? Okay, like, for example, the, the best ones to pick on would be like, Oh, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and the the regular cast of characters where it's like, no, wait a minute. You know, they didn't come from our background. The media darlings. The media darlings. They didn't come from our background. And they had help along the way. They were solidly middle class or upper middle class. And then they just kind of made it. Well, is that 
Is that really because they were hardworking and plucky, or is it more a combination of where they came from and they just were there at the right time? Yeah, which, you know, I'm not going to hold it against them. I mean, I I, I, I appreciate that, and I'm not going to hate on their their fortune. I mean, but I agree. Like, I think that, you know, I mean, maybe some people will anoint me, but I doubt it. I can't count on that. You know what I mean? I anoint you, Drew. Thanks. Thanks, Tim. I, I have been told, my friend Daryl Becker said I'm I'm a good voice for the common man. Well, you definitely have a good radio voice. Oh, thanks, For man. the common man? I'm not quite sure. Yeah? Yeah. Like, I, I represent the common man. What do you think? I, I think so. I, 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 yeah, it's kind of like, uh, that's what I want to represent. Like, I don't want anyone to think that I've, I mean, I'm fucking lazy. I'm like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I, I like to sleep in. I really enjoy sleeping in. Yeah, but people would say that's conver- conserving energy. Yeah, I mean, Not maybe. Not being lazy necessarily. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I like, I mean, when it's time to work, I work. But I try to avoid it at all costs. I don't like hard work. I like, I, well, I don't like doing things that are, like, I don't need to start using the word like. I really hate that. But I don't like, oh, that's funny, I just used it. I don't enjoy work that I don't like to do. That I don't, I don't enjoy doing. I'm not like somebody that's like, uh, man. Now I keep saying it because I keep thinking about the word like. But I, I don't enjoy it's a generational thing. I'm not a person who, yeah, I don't like that about my generation. I don't enjoy just doing things to do it. I don't, I don't find. I don't know. I, I do. That's not 100 percent true. But I don't truly like I. I do, motherfucker, I got to stop saying that word. I do enjoy, like, I'm going to have fun shoveling those wood chips and moving those wood chips. I I really do enjoy hard labor. Yeah. Occasionally. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd rather do that for exercise. Right. And if it's going to give me some, some things, but who knows? I could just be talking out my ass right now. I, I, I go through phases where I really want to do work, and then I don't. And then when I don't want to do it, I really don't want to do it. But when I'm ready to do it, I really want to do it. Okay, let me ask you this question. So the best definition I heard about work is work is work is because you wouldn't do it otherwise. Mm. And people pay you to do work. Mm. That's why it's work. Yeah. <clears throat> There's always work involved. And I really hate it when people talk about work is to be fun and work should be passionate. No, not everybody's having fun or being passionate all the time. Agreed. But I think what really helps you get through the work is, is does it serve a purpose? And do you feel that it's purposeful work? Mm. But a lot of work that people do is not purposeful, and that's why they hate it. Yeah. You know, they, they go to work every day and they try to earn a paycheck. I'm afraid to do skilled labor for some reason. Yeah, but why? I don't know. I mean, if you learn to skill, for example, and you just, like, say you want to become a carpenter. Yeah. You learn to become a carpenter, and you might take pleasure in doing that. I th- and, it, and it's a valuable skill, not to mention the fact that it's very valuable for you. I think it's because I'm afraid to fuck up at it for some stupid reason. Because I'm okay with fucking up at a lot of things that people don't like to do. Mm-hmm. Like, if, if a lot of people don't like to do that, they say it's hard. Mm-hmm. I'll make a point of doing it to show that, that it's really not that hard. Mm-hmm. I think it's the inner contrarian in me to where it's... it's I, I just do it because a lot of people... Like, I took... I remember... In college, everybody would say how hard organic chemistry was. And I didn't believe them. 
I was like, I bet it's not that hard. And I easily got an A minus and uh, not a really good professor, but he would make it seem like you were super smart if you could do all in that course. And I was, and I was like, no, it's just a, just measure. Like you just remember like the way the formula chains are. Like it was just a simple thing for me that you could study with flashcards and yeah. you could do fine with periodic table and all that. Yeah. And I don't remember any of that shit now. <laughs> Not at all. You don't know what the noble gases are? I don't remember the noble Come on, gases. Drew. Come on. I don't. Because I didn't really. knowledge. I didn't really care. I th- but I'm really kind of having my. I'm giving myself. This is a podcast about you, Tim, but I just kind of opened up this dialogue to talk about myself for some strange reason because that's what I like to do sometimes. It's all about you. Peter. It's all about me. It's yeah. all about me. I The same thing with writing. I, th- I think I could probably be good at carpentry. But I get intimidated by it. Okay, why? I don't know. Is it because you're afraid of the learning curve? That you don't think you're competent enough to do it? Maybe. It's the same thing with writing. It's something that's stupid. Like I, I'm not a bad writer. But it, in writing, like I need to learn to write per, persuasively. Like I'm trying to do this email thing to where I have an autoresponder. Mm-hmm. But it's just like this made-up resistance in my head. It's just a, uh, uh, what is that called? Limiting belief. It's just a limiting belief. That's all it is. That you can write well? No, that uh, mm-hmm. the, the resistance is a limiting belief. Or the resistance with me and carpentry or the resistance with with most things that I'm lazy at is because I'm, I make excuses or I look up, I look at ways to where I shouldn't do something, or I, I look for reasons why not to do something instead of to do something. Maybe you're just not motivated enough. It could be. It could definitely be. Yeah. Because what people say about passion, I mean, there is a kernel of truth. Yeah. You're, you're not going to learn something, and you're not going to learn something effectively unless you have a reason why, and then you have the confidence in doing it. Yeah. Now, people, <clears throat> there's also the thing about grit which I think is definitely spot on, is every day you get up, you have grit, and you do the grind. I do it, I get it done, I'm going to do it again tomorrow, but I have enough of a purpose to get it done. Yeah. Now, if there's an easy out for it, you're not going to continue on it. But if you definitely have that why, and I can think about that, your latest podcast, I forget what his name was. Kevin Geary. Kevin Geary, right. So... I was listening to that on the way down, and what you guys talked about, some of it was not new to me, but some of it was just a reinforcement of like, well, of course, you know, if you're, if you know what kind of money you want to make and what you need to make, then making something more where you're killing yourself, but you never have a time to enjoy it, you know, what, what's the point? Yeah. What's the point? Unless you're saving it up for something, or if you're going to spend it on like, you know, you want a brand new Cadillac. Okay, well, you can work and work and work and get the money to spend it. And you got it. You got exactly what you wanted. But then sometimes, well, actually a lot of times when you do something like that, you're just like, you know, an old beat up Toyota Tercel would have worked just as well. Yeah. Not a brand new Cadillac. Yeah. So then it's a matter of why did you work all that much to spend the money on that Cadillac when you could have just got something else? Especially if it's in the case of a car where it gets you from point A to point B. Yeah. So you learning permaculture serves a purpose is because you want to learn it it's valuable for you. But now, you know, just earlier when I came and before I was talking with you guys, you and Rich, it's just like you've hit some snags. Well, some of that is the challenge of your land in the back. 
Yeah. So if you were in much fertile ground and you had something you could point to and say, hey, look at that, you know, you're getting positive reinforcement that you should continue. But then having the grit to get through the, the obstacles where you know what the end game is, that will carry you through. For some people, this is true. Well, I think too, learning, I'm still learning this system and it's like I'm processing everything and, and it's, it's to the point to where I know where I want this business to go and I know what I would like it to be, but then it's, it takes time, man. It takes time. I know I would prefer to have an aggregator to where I can run a business. I have things going, so I'm I'm helping all my local friends that are farmers. We're doing door deliveries. Mm-hmm. People are enjoying the products like they already like now, but realistically, I don't know how close that is. I mean, it could be closer. It could be a year. It could be two years, but all I can do is keep working Mm-hmm. and trying to make sure that I, and I think too I, I ask myself a lot of questions like is this the right move to make is this the right decision to make like there's um so so one thing which is why we were we, we were going to Ray Ray's I was saying I was having these moments of clarity so I, I was noticing how I just bit off more than I could chew uh we had so there's even on Instagram we did this comparison of plastic tarps right so this girl Wanted somebody else to farm her front yard just for one season. She had a ton of thistle. And in my course that Curtis Stone says is he's like, yeah, I try to avoid thistle at all costs. But for me, it was like, well, this land's available. I don't have a lot of other land available. I don't have a lot of other time to put into it because it's like I already have my backyard I've worked into. I really need to focus on getting that running. Mm -hmm. But then Rich is here. So there's this thing in my brain that says, well, Rich is here. So he he could probably do that. Mm-hmm. And instead of me doing that, or me working at it too. So there's, I think it's just a management. I, I'm, I'm really working hard on getting better at time management. So I'm really working hard at getting, getting planned, like being resilient. I mean, it's like the shit me and Charles always talk about. Like, you know, Charles wrote about the stages of local resilience and then Marvin Motzenbacher's list is there, like these mm-hmm. stages, right? Right. So I feel like I'm in these stages and I'm learning that I need to be more disciplined with my time. Not necessarily disciplined in the sense of like, I have to be, you know, I'm going to get up at 4 a.m. just because that's what you do because it's a challenge. Like, because I... I kind of think that shit's I I don't prescribe to that shit. A lot of people do get value out of it, so I don't want to I don't want to poop on it. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't give I don't feel like it gives me value to just do that. Like I was getting up at five thirty in the morning, and I might go back to it, but I, I just was getting sick of it. I'm like, oh, my body's really tired. Yeah, like I want to sleep. I need mm-hmm. to sleep. Why do I? Why am I doing this to punish myself? I wanted to punish myself I'd go get a job and that was kind of the that was kind of like the idea that I was having with Kevin and actually since I stopped waking up early I started making more money mm-hmm. because I was actually enjoying more of what I was doing yeah and when I when you start to enjoy it and you're getting that reinforcement like I keep my weekly income keeps rising that I'm like you know enjoy the process if you don't enjoy the process then why am I doing it that's right it's a process and I mean um on that note, you know, when they talk about goal setting, mm-hmm. something that we've all been inculcated in one form or another, 
But you know who Scott Adams is, right? Oh, I love Scott Adams. Yeah, I read so, it. I was reading his blog every day until I stopped working. Yeah, so you know he he wrote a book a couple of years ago. It was called uh, How, How to Fail Everything and Still Win Big. Big. Right. So I really like what he mentioned in that book of the difference between systems and goals, which is more or less a, it supported what I had suspected all along, is that when you set goals, you're probably going to fall short of those goals, especially yeah. if they're far into the future, because you don't know what's going to happen between now and, say, five years from now. That's yeah. why I always hate that question, where do you see yourself in five years? So I want to answer it, I hope, hopefully alive and making more money than I am now. Yeah. And happier. So Adams talks about having a system in place. And what does the system do? Well, it's, in, it's distinct for every individual, but you do that to increase your options as you move forward. You know, instead of you're restricted to three choices like chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry to use an ice cream, in five years' time, you're already at Baskin-Robbins, 31 flavors. You have more options because if something would happen, like you lose your job, you can get a, uh, another job within a month or two. Okay, so that's a good option to have versus you lose your job and then you're shit out of luck for the next six to eight months. Yeah. You know? So getting the system in place, it's good to have goals. <clears throat> you know, you want to keep yourself healthy, you want to maintain your relationships and all that. But what does it actually look like? It's really hard to pin down. But if you have the system in place, you know, like losing weight and exercising and all that, you keep yourself going to increase your options. And then maybe one day, like another podcaster I listen to is like climbing up a mountain. You're working, you're working, and working until you actually get to a point. You're looking around, it's like, oh my God, I made it. Yeah. This is where I'm at. What do I do now? Well, let me start the next system. Yeah, I feel like that's what I'm working on. And I, and I think having Rich here helps too, because Rich is a big systems guy. And Rich looks at efficiency, and, you know, him and I will, will have it out sometimes. But we, we always get back on the same page because we're we get in arguments because we have the same we're sharing a vision of where we want this place to be or where we want ourselves to be like we're 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 for the same cause which is our cause right right and do you guys take ownership of that yeah yeah i think we definitely do and i i i know having rich around has helped me take more ownership because it was okay this is real like I'm doing this. Yeah. I'm actually doing this. Like You're I'm in not the thick of it now. I'm not doing it part time like last year when I met you. Like it was yeah. something for the future for when I lost my job. Mm -hmm. But then I even lost sight of it then. Like I lost sight of it while I was doing it. Mm -hmm. And I and I got burned out because instead of enjoying the process and learning, mm -hmm. I was trying so hard to make money with it. Yeah. To prove to myself that I could make money with it, but it, it was more but I am the one that possesses the skills to make money with it. Mm -hmm. So I'm the one that works it. Like, it works. I just have to work it. And how I work it, that's why you have systems in place is to help you work it and get that return, right? Right. I would also say that something I've noticed over the years is putting a system in place is better than shooting for a goal. Yeah. Sure, you have your goals. Those are kind of nebulous, and those are more long-term, but the system actually increases your options. But another thing that people... <clears throat> really don't think very long and deeply about is how others can influence what your system is and how you can reach your goals. Because you have to rely on other people. Like if Rich were not in the picture, it's yeah. all you. Yeah. Unless you were able to enlist other people maybe with the same vision and they can buy into your same vision and take ownership of that and move it forward. And it might go in a completely different direction if Rich were not in the picture. I could be. That's a good chance. Yeah. But I don't, I don't mind the direction that I'm going right now. Like it was interesting because, um, 
Well, here's something that's interesting. Like, I was pushing really hard. I'm I'm naturally pretty hard headed, and I'll and I don't necessarily. I think the smartest move is to go the path of least resistance, but in a sense of like a a plotted out path of re- least resistance. Like I I want to grow this this thing of arugula, this bed of arugula. Mm-hmm. because I know if I don't have holes in it, I have a place to sell it with chefs. Mm-hmm. I thought I had a place to sell with salad mix to this restaurant. And, my, and it was my buddy's restaurant. And he said he'd want, you know, 40 pounds a week at one restaurant and another restaurant. Mm-hmm. So season comes around and he's immediately trying to get me down on price. He's immediately trying to do other things. And I'm like, this isn't the conversation we had in the off season. Yeah. So I already have all these beds of lettuce. I had three 55 foot, beds of lettuce mm-hmm. that I didn't really have a place to move. Like I didn't even, I wasn't signed up for a farmer's market. I wasn't signed up for anything Yeah, because I put all my eggs in one basket. Yeah. You didn't diversify. I didn't diversify it. And so it was a good lesson learned. I mean, it, it, it created, it created some adversity for myself. It created some pain for myself that was necessary when I harvested a hundred pounds of lettuce and composted, mm-hmm. you know, 88 of it yeah for the most part and now i you know i but now it's like okay now i have systems like i have money income coming in where mm-hmm. i'm at least getting 200 dollars at each farmer's market i'm doing two mm-hmm. um my restaurants it's it's like the the, the area to where i could naturally increase my uh revenue and really do it with like the by maximizing the most space was microgreens, mm-hmm. and I wasn't really focused on that. I didn't really want to focus on that. And I had all these people saying that I was a microgreens farmer, and I'd have to correct them, like, no, that's just one thing that I do, and I don't even really do that much. And what the the funny thing is, so many people were saying that, and now that's really where I think I see the most opportunity. And that's what's like gotten me into this really nice restaurant chain here. Mm-hmm. It's not really a chain. It's like one chef who has a bunch of different kinds of restaurants. He's like a really successful restaurant tour in the in Columbus. But he's local. Local, yeah, yeah very low. Yeah, it's it's local to Columbus, and all the chefs love me. All the chefs are top. They're they're not like chefs where they have like drug problems or at least not that they get in the way. <laughs> Definitely helps. Yeah, yeah, which happens a lot in Oh, I'm, I'm sure it does. Especially yeah. uh, like reading Anthony Bernadine's books. High so, stress job. So this isn't where I thought I would be with this business. I thought I'd be a lot further ahead because I get a little overambitious and I and I I think I get a little overconfident sometimes. Yeah. But then I get humbled down and then mm-hmm. I think clearer and then it's it's a it's it's more so a uh it's it's more so like uh I'm more controlled. Like I feel like I actually when I get less I feel like I'm more in the driver's seat when I'm not so overconfident. When I actually get humbled down, mm-hmm. I feel like I, I can influence things more and I feel like I'm in more control and just uh so that's kind of where I'm at, and I don't know why we went down this rabbit hole there, because this is a podcast about you. But uh, well, it is about me because my voice is on it. <laughs> <laughs> but, I thought, but I thought at some point we would talk about your business because yeah, that's 
as far as your podcast is concerned, one of the most interesting things, apart from what you and Charles E. Smith talk about. That's good to hear. Because I, I really, because I really like the way Charles approaches it. It's it's more attacking the foundations of the the mentality, the zeitgeist that exists, yeah, which we know is breaking down and will continue to break down. Yeah, I mean, like because right now I I'm making. I could pick up more shifts to skip the dishes and probably make more money, but then, which is just that food delivery service. Yeah. But then it's just like you know, that's not what I want to be doing. That's not where I want my income to come from. Mm -hmm. So I do it as needed, mm -hmm. and it's extra side money. I make a little bit of money from the podcast now from Patreon, mm -hmm. um, which I think is a good idea because uh, you're directly putting it out there, and then you're inviting people to support you that believe in what you do. Correct, correct, and 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 I think it's even it goes further. Like I I had um, so. We had like the worst rainstorms here, like super intense monsoon style rainstorms. I know I drove through them in West Virginia. I'm going okay. to Ohio. Yeah. So, so that, that would have been I know, just I know wherever you speak. So, yeah. So, my roof started leaking. Okay. And I was like, fuck. Great home ownership. Oh, yeah. So, I like try to hit up my old landlord, like, hey, how much would you charge me to repair this? No response. And I was like, he's probably too busy to deal with my bullshit. So I'm like, you know what? I've, I've been listening to a lot of Jordan Peterson and uh, his analogy of like, have you listened to any of his, his lectures? Oh, lots of them. Okay, so this his first lecture on the maps of meaning mm -hmm. and the dragon in the room, yeah. the dragon in the house. Right. So that's a new dragon, Right. the roof leaking. And if I ignore it, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. Mm -hmm. And Rich is sending me pictures. And Rich helps me out a lot with handy stuff that he just has more knowledge to, which I need to take the time to learn, but I haven't. And that's all it is, is putting in the time, and I don't do it. And well, it's, it's division of labor. You can't learn or master everything. Correct. You and have it's, to focus it's, on what you do best. It's also like Rich says that I'm, you know, I'm Tom Sawyer because I'll have a task that needs done, and I don't, I don't know how to do it, but my friends do, and they're more than happy to help me. And we hang out, we have a good time, but usually other people do some heavy work for me. Right. Or, which I could probably figure out, but it would take twice the time. And mm -hmm. it's like sometimes when time isn't there, you don't have that. So the roofing, so the roof is, you know, f f Rich, Rich is like, yeah, I don't like ladders. I don't like roofs. I'm like, me neither. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I'm not getting up there. So I call this guy from a local company and he comes out and it's storming and he gets on the roof and uh looks at everything and goes you really need to talk to your insurance people mm -hmm. and i'm like all right so i call them they come out yesterday well just just out of curiosity how old is the roof i have no idea how old is the house 1948 it's probably not the original roof no and the house is abandoned for eight years mm. and so i have no idea but i know the my old landlord didn't replace the roof okay so the insurance company comes out and they send a contractor who's like a contractor for adjusters. And basically, he's their eyes and ears. Mm -hmm. And I, we actually had a good conversation. Like, it was after the farmer's market. And everybody, I think because I'm doing what I'm doing, and I'm like, I've been telling people when they ask me what my politics are, I feel like my work is my politics. Like, I, I kind of slack. I, I don't really necessarily, I don't work as hard as I probably could. But at the same time, maybe I'm not doing physical work hard, but I'm, I'm, I am thinking a lot about what am I doing with this business? Is this a smart idea? Is this really worth what I'm doing? That's like how I am. 
Well, you know what I mean? But I yeah. think that's how everyone is. I think that's how everyone is. Uh, no, I wouldn't say that. I would say that... A majority of people a are. Ma- well, a majority of people follow and they don't lead. That's true. And they're looking for clues about how they should act. I don't look for clues on how I should act. I mainly... No, that's not true. I think I do to an extent. But I'm not talking about you, Drew. I'm talking about most people. I, I agree. They look, for, they look for clues how to act. What... And they respond to incentives. That's true. So how am I supposed to act that is not going to get me in trouble? What are the incentives for me to do X versus Y? Do they do it on principle? Some do. Do they do it somewhat? Or Let me say that again. So some people will do it out of principle. I should do X versus Y because they're in, in line with my values versus just bare incentives. But I can't say that's everybody. It's true. But I, I, I spend a lot of time... I, I think I do get influenced. I, I don't... So it's weird. I don't care about titles. I don't care about jobs. I don't care about fancy cars, fancy watches, status fancy clothes. I don't give a shit about status. Mm. What I do care about is owning my time and having my own liberty and freedom, in a yeah. sense. Time is the most precious resource that you can never get back. Right. And I, and I would like to have more money because I realize that it's a tool to have options. Mm-hmm. But again, it goes back to how much money do I really need? And I'm thinking that, and I'm figuring that out. And then, you know, I want to have a family. So obviously I need to make more money than what I'm making now. Right. I would like to for, for what? But maybe I don't, but I, w- I don't want, I don't know. It's a terrifying thing, the whole family thing. That's mm-hmm. a, that's this very scary, real thing. Not yeah. that I I don't think it's great because like I I spent a lot of time at Greg Greg and Susan Burns' house and mm-hmm. have an awesome family. I love their kids or the Fogels or anybody in the GSD community. I've spent time with their family and kids. Like they all homeschool and mm-hmm. and I think it's amazing. I think it's wonderful. It's like their kids are so much different than suburban kids or even like my cousins mm-hmm. that aren't bad kids. They're good kids too, but they're just they're from like different worlds. Yeah. And that's, that's what I'm, I'm looking for. So, and, and so that's for me, that's really kind of, Oh, so back to the whole point of this, which is I think people see what I'm doing and they respect it. And it's just like, nobody messes with me in the neighborhood. I have kids come and tell me how beautiful, like little kids, like they ask and then they ask for plants. So I like basil and tomato plants. I'm like, yeah, go give this to your mom. And I got, they told me their names. I asked them for them, and I said, "Well, I'm Drew," and blah blah blah. And it it, it feels good when I was first trying to do the community garden, like what we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. I was trying to force what I was doing on my community mm-hmm. because when you're doing it in a public space, you're trying to force it on others. Versus, this is my yard. This is my house. This is what I'm choosing to do with it. And when you and I feel like when you approach that attitude, people are going to gravitate towards you. Because you are, I feel like that's real politics. You're making a statement by putting a greenhouse in your backyard or, or growing produce in your backyard or trying to do permaculture shit, mm-hmm. which, you know, or, or, or just trying to do stuff that's different, that's, that's positive and it's sustainable. So I feel like I have this, this, uh, this optimistic view towards my roof that my insurance company is going to help me out get me a new roof because i think the adjuster saw what i was doing and was really trying to help me and then the, the salesman guy goes i was just real with him I'm like look dude i don't make much money 
(laughs) this is is it like this is what i can afford i need a roof Mm -hmm. and i appreciate your help and he's like yeah man i get that he's like man you're and and i don't being in sales i don't feel like the guy was trying to bullshit me he's like i think you're you're an interesting cool guy i enjoy talking to you i'm gonna do whatever i can to help you out and he's like i can guarantee you you can replace your roof for less than five grand or whatever Mm -hmm. i'm like that's doable like that's that's very doable yeah and he's like it might not be the nicest roof but it will it will be something good enough to get you by for a while it'll work it'll work for the next couple years yeah and i think and that's kind of it. like obviously yeah i want to have the best roof but honestly in the future man i want to have some solar panels and i have like the solar tiles and all that shit there yeah because i don't want to pay the electric company Mm-hmm. And it's not even about because I, I want to reduce the carbon footprint. I don't give a fuck about any of that stuff, dude. <laughs> what I care about is I don't want somebody to tell me I owe them money to enjoy my life. Right. And I think that's that's the bigger thing. And I think that's why we get along because I think you're you're in that same road, especially growing up in Northeast Ohio. Well, that's in right. In the Rust Belt. That's right. What was that like? We're so nice here in the Midwest. <laughs> I think we are, aren't we? Well, I not mean, as nice as the South, I don't think. Eh, I mean, the stereotype of Midwesterners is that we're so pleasant. I mean, there's a lot of land here in Ohio, and the further west you go, the more land you get. I mean, it's been many years since I was last in Indiana, but I don't think it's all that much different from Ohio. No, they're just weirder. They're just weirder, right? Yeah, they have uh, Indiana people. They're a lot like us, but they're not us. Yeah, they're Same not. with people from Pennsylvania. That's right. Well, Pennsylvania is a completely different animal. Talk to, talk, talk to a friend of mine is that eastern versus western is a totally different states that's right that's what exactly what he says because he grew up in philadelphia and he says it's completely different than pittsburgh oh pittsburgh is amazing pittsburgh pittsburgh is a great city i actually had a guy um he's actually a patron and he was he was just saying like he's living in like he lives near near charles actually i'm pretty sure he lives in um the berkeley area he's working for a tech company he was like man like i want to do farming i want to do you're doing it <laughs> How do I do this? Yeah. And I'm like, dude, you got to cut down your expenses. I would say, get the fuck out of California, dude. Yeah. I was like, I'd look at, you're in tech. I'd look at Pittsburgh. And uh, I followed up with him and I would shout out Matt. Hopefully, I think he'll appreciate it if he doesn't. Sorry, Matt. But Matt goes, yeah, man, I'm so glad you told me to look at Pittsburgh. It's looking yeah. promising. Matt, there's a lo- there's life outside of California. Yeah, I think he knows that. I think yeah. it's, I think he, it's, uh, I think you I think sometimes you just need to move. Yeah. I think people people ask me, would you ever move out of Ohio? And I'm like, no, it's so cheap here. Like, I, I like Ohio. I moved out of Ohio more than once. Yeah. Why did you do that? I think that's crazy. <clears throat> well, let's tell your story. Okay, let's tell my story. So yeah. growing up when I did, it was probably the best term I can come up with, with is idyllic. So my parents, they were married for close to 60 years, and my... <clears throat> My father unfortunately passed away early last year. Oh man, sorry to hear that. A short, short period with Alzheimer's. Um, sorry, Parkinson's disease. But um, they stayed together. My dad had a solidly working class job. He worked at the Timken Company, which is based in Canton, for over forty years. And he retired. And my mom, she worked as a secretary at the Catholic school that I went to first. And then when she got fired from that, that's a separate story. She went to go work for the Methodists for 15 years. So did she convert religion no. after she got fired? No. Were she Catholic? Were you Catholic? Or did you just we were go all, to Catholic school? We were always raised Catholic. Yeah, I was raised Catholic. From yeah. Northeast and Northwest Ohio aren't that different, I don't think, in that, no, that I don't regard. Think they are. It gets a lot different the further south you go. Right. But when I look back on 
my situation is that where my parents lived was within walking distance of the schools that I went to, both the A through 8 that I was at Catholic school and then the high school that was just up the road. And then my mom, having been the secretary at the, the Catholic school, you know, when she and I would go to school in the morning, my dad would get up, he would make coffee, breakfast, and then he would go to work at the nearest Timken plant, which was not so far away. And then she and I would go to school together. So it was almost like being at home, except she was working. Yeah. Versus getting on the bus and going somewhere else, somewhere else like Masson or whatever it is, and then having to come back, like a lot of kids did with the school. So, and because they stayed together and there were never any serious problems in my family, you know, never divorced, never any kind of drug and alcohol problems. And then I never wanted for anything. We did take vacations to, to Florida and it was a very comfortable, stable suburban existence. So that definitely affected me. But there was a time starting in the late 80s and early 90s when there were not a whole lot of job opportunities, especially for somebody like me. So at some point, you would have had to go into the big city. Now at the time, and I kind of think this is funny thinking back, is that I never considered coming to Columbus. Probably would have been good if I had come to go to Ohio State and then go to work at Nationwide or something like that, just to at least get on that rung of the ladder. But when, okay, so when were you going out in the workforce though? Because I don't think Columbus. Well, Columbus was starting to. Okay, we moved down here. Actually, it might have been the same time because I think I think are you about Rich's age? Rich is forty-five. Yeah. Okay, so I moved down here. I think we moved down here in ninety. Three to ninety four. Yeah, Columbus that's, was booming. That's around the time I was coming to the workforce. Yeah, that would have been the time to move down here for sure. Yeah. That would have been yeah. a good time, very good time. Yeah, yeah. I, it's interesting. A lot of people don't think to move to Columbus. There's, I feel like in Ohio, people, because Columbus is very different than the rest of Ohio. That I it think is. big city wise, like even yeah. Cleveland, Cincinnati. I'm sure Cincinnati is way different than Columbus is too. And I've only been to Cincinnati once. Yeah, Cincinnati's still cool, but I I wouldn't want to live there. Okay. I, I don't. I wouldn't want to live in Cleveland either. Or, you know, Youngstown used to be nice, but Youngstown's getting better. But it's so small, um, mm-hmm. and there's not a lot to do, and it's still kind of depressing. Same with Toledo. Same with Dayton. Like the the brewery scenes are taking off in Dayton, which is good. Yeah. The obviously there's great beer in Cincinnati. There's great beer in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. And there's great urban urban agriculture kind of took off in Cleveland too. Mm-hmm. There's things that I like about it, but this is. This is my home. Like I like Columbus. I like that it's it's it has a nice mix of white collar and blue collar, mm-hmm. and it's 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 a nice mix. And there's a lot of companies that come here. I I feel like the best way to describe it is it's like a, a West Coast city in the Midwest, without an ocean. And we're still like five years behind. You really would consider Columbus a West Coast city? Um, if you put it in the Midwest, I mean, it's not. We don't. It's not as liberal for sure. What was your experience out in California? Oh, I mean, like food wise, and yeah, it's just it's just hip. Well, yeah, but not. I, I'm not like, focusing so much on the. I mean, like market wise, like you. Yeah. If 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 something is successful in Columbus, Ohio, there's only two cities where it's definitely not gonna. You can't. It's gonna be successful in most cities, and it's like a number one test town. The only two cities where. You cannot test with Columbus as New York City and L.A. Yeah. And, it, and that's because they're not really cities. They're more like nations. Yes. When you have 20 million people, you're not a city. Yes. New York is a place unto itself. Same with at Los Angeles. Well, San Francisco, too. Yeah. 
Well, San Francisco is not as big, though, but it is its own. It's not as big, but it's it's the diversity that's there. You know, yeah. the much wanted diversity that people like to talk about. The diversity. Ooh, the well, that's the thing with California is everybody's, you know, Charles and I talk about this shit all the time. Everybody's yeah. moving out there to either become an actor mm-hmm. or to become a tech billionaire. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to become either. You're yeah. not going to get successful in entertainment. And you're probably not going to become a tech billionaire. No. And like, you know, if... I, I doubt that anybody listening to my podcast would seriously become a tech billionaire. I don't think so. I mean, it'd be great if they did and they'd say, fuck you, Drew, I became a tech billionaire. Then uh, just go to Patreon and uh, <laughs> <laughs> go to PayPal and make a great make, donation. Make a very big donation. Make a very generous donation. Drew will love you to death. I will love you to death and uh, I, will, I, will, I will eat some crow. But anyways, uh, you know, so getting back to this, you never thought about moving to Columbus. No. So where did you so where did you go to college at? So I went to a college in a small college in Canton called Walsh, which at the time was a college before it became a university, and it was run by the Brothers of Christian Instruction. So it was a Catholic school. Isn't it a because uh, um, there's different kinds of Catholic, which people don't get, but I'm pretty sure what is the term? It's like a Jesuit school, right? Yeah, it was a Jesuit run school. by Jesuits. That's yeah. what the brothers are. They're Jesuits. Yeah. <clears throat> so I went there, and I went there. It's because it was close to home save on money, and I got a scholarship. So I got an almost full ride. Didn't have to take out any loans. But then I went to Toledo to try to work for a little while, and that didn't work out too well. And what again, year was that? So this is, what was it? 93 to 95. You were in Toledo. I was in Toledo. That was a very bad time to be in Toledo. Yeah, I wasn't too impressed with Toledo. It's not ever really a good time, but Toledo's yeah. definitely in a better place now than it was then. Oh, I'm sure it was. Yeah. And I remember going to Ann Arbor a couple times with, uh, cool. with friends. Ann Arbor's very Except cool. Except for now. Yes. I started to derail you, but their they're, University of Michigan is getting very PC. Like They outlawed smoking. They outlawed being able to buy tobacco at the age of 18, even though you can legally smoke it, yeah. to make it safer for your student to go there. The nanny state creeps in. The nanny state, yeah. Yeah. That that was that's it's 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 stupid. Anyways, yeah. keep going. Yeah, so you're right. Being in Toledo at the time really wasn't that was that wasn't the best time. So I was looking for other options and I of course like a lot of young people had aspirations to go to the bigger city, but I didn't want to go to New York and I certainly didn't want to go to the West Coast. But you know, these were in the the pre-internet days. So what you can find out in a couple hours now would have taken months. Well, Back then. we had internet, but it was dial-up. And if you had a 56K modem, you could have done some, some great research on AOL.com. Well, I, I did do research, but it was not for that. What I'm talking about is more compressed. Yeah. And you actually get a sense of what it's like there versus trying to imagine. And then you the, have to scrape together the funds to go out there yeah. to establish yourself when you really can't do it through the internet like a pipeline. No, the internet, the internet wasn't what it was today. No. Like it wasn't what it would be known as today. No. So, and I definitely wanted to go overseas because I had gone to the UK as a, as a graduation gift from my parents back in 93. And I looked to go to teach English and I went to South Korea. That's pretty cool. And I was there for a total of a year and a half. I came back in late 97 because at the time there was a, the Asian economic crisis, which started in Thailand and it had affected what they called the Tigers, Korea, Taiwan, Singapore, and... Um, I forget the last one. Hong Not Kong, South Korea, was. though. Hmm? Did it affect South Korea? Oh, yeah. Huh. Yeah, the currency was in a free fall back in 97. So because I really didn't see myself though over there for a long time, I, I kind of have done that. 
know, check the box for it. So I decided to come back and I didn't have any other place to go except back to my parents' place. So in, for the better part of 98, 99, I was living with my parents back in Canton and I was trying to retool myself and that's how I got an IT. But so you didn't go to, you didn't go to college for IT? No. What did you go to college for? Philosophy. Oh, like Charles. Like Charles, yeah. Yeah. Although I didn't, Charles, I didn't do the carpentry gig like you did. <laughs> I wonder, so like that's interesting. I got to really stop saying the word like. I hate that shit. It's really interesting because there's a lot of degrees like philosophy where people say it's a useless degree, but I feel like it gives people a foundation for something else. Yes. Well, that's what the liberal arts are, were supposed to for a long time. Absolutely. They give you a foundation of what your... Just like going to Catholic school. Right. It gives you a foundation of what your culture is, like in this case, Western culture. And if it's done right, to provide you with the tools to think critically. Because if you learn how to learn, that's the most important thing. Then you can teach yourself and you can learn from others what you need to do to do X, Y, and Z. I had to teach myself how to learn. It's, and that's, then I had that's teach, a tall order. It's and tall I had order. to teach myself the liberal arts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's pretty interesting to yeah. think about. Yeah. Actually, Robert Kiyosaki actually helped me out a lot. That was like the first book I read. Well, it's the second book I actually really read. It was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And he was just talking about learning to sell. Mm-hmm. And I remember... I was thinking, I'm always good with people, but I feel like I'm haphazardly good with people. Like I feel like people like me, but I don't know how to hone this in to really influence and persuade people. So I got a job in sales, started reading a bunch of books in sales, and then I just started studying persuasion because I was like, that's a skill. And I didn't even realize I was studying persuasion until Scott Adams started talking about it. Mm -hmm. And then I started studying persuasion even more. And now... Like through doing network marketing and stuff, it, something I learned was if you can make people feel okay, that's all it is. It's not, you don't have to make them feel special. You just make people feel comfortable. And then people will appreciate that. And it's not even, and, and it's not even like a manipulative thing. My life is so much better because I know how to make other people calm down and feel okay, which makes me feel better. Yeah. If you're stressed out, I don't want to be around you Mm -mm. so if i can diffuse your stress or just make you okay Mm -hmm. then i'm gonna feel a lot better enjoy my day a lot more so it's it's very it's a selfish act and it's not even for like i want to control these people so i could take advantage of them no that's that's something totally different it's mainly like no i want to work with people and i want i want to just enjoy my time with people and build relationships so that's like the basis of it I don't know the whole point of this or why this even came out. I think it was because reading books and learning skills. And uh, well, I was going to ask you about that since you had been in sales because this has been on my mind recently. Yeah. Is um, since you have worked in sales, how would you best define sales and how does it dovetail uh, into persuasion? What do you think that? What do you think the heart of sales is? Because I, I tell you where I approach this from. Many years ago, like a lot of different people, I was introduced to sales by. High pressure, mm, used cars, no. new car salesman type of sales. That's not salesman. That's con man. Yeah. Like Zig Ziglar said it best. Like I, I would never want somebody to say, "Well, Drew could sell ice to an Eskimo." It's like, no. Why would I do that? They don't need ice. Yeah. Like that's a that's a that's a con man. I don't yeah. want that. Or you ever heard the term? Um, you can't eat your own dog food. 
No. You ever heard that term? No. That's the way I interpret it is, is that why would you want to sell something that you don't believe in? Yeah, You wouldn't even eat your own dog food. No. I I find that very hard to do. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to do that. I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't, I, I would never want to do that. I would never want, if somebody says they don't want something, then I'm like, okay, then don't do it. Yeah. Like, even at the farmer's market, like, I want to give people an opportunity to tell me no. Mm-hmm. So I try to call them over and I'm just like, hey, are you interested in this? And if they're like, oh, not today. I'm like, okay, quick, okay cool. Mm-hmm. The worst is when they stay there and want to talk to me more about nothing. <laughs> And I'm like, look, your opportunity to leave was there. I'm okay with it. They say, well, hey, thanks for coming to the farmer's market. And that should be enough. Go buy from somebody else. Yeah. You're here to support a local business, so go support a local business. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm all about that cause. You don't, look, I want your money, but, you know, if you don't want what I have, then I don't want it. Like, that's not how it works. Why do you think they hang around? Because they, they feel bad about telling me no. Okay, so where do you think that comes from? That comes from... I don't know. I think it comes from people. No is this weird word that crushes people on both sides. People have a hard time telling you no, mm-hmm. and they have a hard time being told no. Yeah, when we're talking about sales, there's this one book uh, that I recommend too. It's called Start With No by Jim Camp. I'll check that out. I've never checked that out. Yeah, so the, the upshot of the book is instead of the win-win mentality that they yeah. try to push, going all the way back to Stephen Covey and even before yeah, that, yeah. is you start with the no because there's always going to be a no when you're trying to sell to somebody. Yeah. There's always going to be something that prevents them, especially if they're not, here, Drew, I want to give you my money. No questions asked yeah. type of thing. It's like it's too expensive. It doesn't fit my needs. It might not be the right time to do it. There's always a no. Yeah. So if you start with a no and you can address the no's, I mean, you're probably not going to make the sale in the end, but at least you get a better perspective about why this person wouldn't buy it instead of just like, well, how could you not buy this? This yeah. is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Yeah. That's true. I, even sometimes what's weird is I, uh, I, I have a tendency to be a little too cautious and I try to, I, I think I, I like try to sell from other people's pocketbooks instead of mine. And I would do that a lot when I worked for other companies cause I was, man, I did not really believe in my products at Time Warner, but they were selling me, they were paying me a lot of money and I knew I need, I could use that money and I didn't, I didn't believe in a lot of stuff at Verizon for sure because... And every morning you woke up and you hated going there. I hated going there and I hated, you know, I was so beat down. I mean, I liked Time Warner better than Verizon, but I put on 70 pounds working at Verizon. Yeah. And it was, it was very clear that that was not... You felt inauthentic. Yeah. Oh, it was, I had no light at the end of the tunnel. Mm Mm-hmm. And now I'm in the now I'm in the tunnel. Yeah. Like there's it's it's like I've I've reached the light and I'm looking for new light. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's you just I, want to go to the next train track. That's how I feel, yeah. And it's easy to do. That's easy to get caught up in too. Like, well, yeah. it's like, no, appreciate what you have now. Like yeah. that's that's like my that's what I'm that's what I keep telling myself. Like appreciate what you have right now. Yeah. And it's it's easy for me to get in my head and think about uh so what do I, you know, is this, is this really what you should be doing? Is this really that? It's like, what do you want to do it? Like, it's your time. Yeah. Like, you, then do it. Like, that's what I, I tell myself. Yeah. Because that's what's important. And I think it goes back to sales, though. It's like, well, do you want to buy this? Then don't buy it. Yeah, because I, I remember 
having been in some kind of those sales positions. Like I used to work for Sam's Club many years ago. Oh, that sounds awful. And they were selling membership cards. Yeah. Okay, so that was one of the first times that I really learned about how you can't reason people to buy something. No. Because I could easily, there were many times when I was on the other side and I, and I could easily see myself in the customer's position where it's like, why would I want to pay however much, like 30, 35 bucks the membership card was, why well, only shop here one or two times a year? I'll gladly pay the five percent upcharge on it because yeah. I'm just I'm just not here. Or like, yeah, you know, you go to um, some of the other fast food places. Like, do you have a membership card? No, because I I don't shop here enough. It's not convenient for it's me. It's not convenient for me. Yeah, I'm not going to spend the money, and I've done this more than once. Is that I'm not going to spend the money on a membership that I'm never going to use. I'm the same way. We have a Costco membership. My girlfriend and I we use it all the time. Yeah, Rich. Uh, you know, my girlfriend Rich and I. Richard, Richard Frample. Um, no, I, I'm just joking. He's not my girlfriend. We're we're totally platonic roommates. But it's, also. it's fun. It's fun to joke about. <laughs> I thought about saying, "Hey, this is my boyfriend, Rich." When you yeah. got here, just to this fuck is with my you. partner. This is my partner. Yeah. Uh, it's just funny. So, um, yeah. So we, I had a Costco membership before he came, and I would never go because I just didn't take the time to really go. Yeah. And Do you really need that much toilet paper? Yeah, it was one of those things. But now, now that there's two of us, there's things that because Rich has been a member of Costco so long. He's mm-hmm. a he's a he's a great um, he's a, he's a great uh, word of mouth advertiser for Costco. Mm-hmm. But then they built a Costco near where my walk-in cooler is. So mm-hmm. now I get gas there all the time because it's usually cheaper Yeah, and it's on the way. Like I have to drive to and from, like my walk-in cooler, unfortunately, is 20 minutes away because we still need, you know, wood chips. And now that we're going to get truckloads filled with wood chips, mm-hmm. it's going to take probably a little bit longer until we get it out here. But now that we have this in place, I'm closer to getting it here, right? Right. I'm closer to getting these pallets torn down and torn apart and moving stuff because it's, Okay, now things are in motion. So, okay, now it's like, okay, now I can really start working. That's how I kind of feel. I Now that you have the wood chips, you've increased your options of getting it done. Yeah. Yeah. Back, back to the system thing. It goes back to the system, yeah. It goes mm-hmm. back to the system thing. So, yeah. but um, anyways. But, you know, going back to the sales, as I was mentioning, is the, yeah. and I thought, I, I can't sell to these people. And then I remember there was this one woman, Joanne was her name, I remember her quite distinctly, is that she could she could charm the pants off anybody. And she was one of the best cashiers that could sell. Yeah. But towards the end when I when I left, even she was running into problems because people weren't spending money. Either quite possibly they lost their jobs and they just didn't want to spend the money, or you'd reached a saturation point with memberships is that you couldn't sell anymore. Yeah. But the salespeople, they didn't want to hear that. You know, well, get sales up, grow, get yeah, the sales up. Well, it's it's kind of like what our economy is based on, right? It's like that's one of the issues. It's predicated on growth. Yeah. And Charles and Charles talks about this all the time, as do others. Yeah, and it's that's not realistic. No. It's just not realistic. I I know that there's gonna be a sweet spot for me in this in this business. Mm-hmm. I don't know how long people are going to want microgreens, but I need to be ready to move to something else, mm-hmm. or I need to be working on other things. Definitely be- diversify. Yeah, you have to. But you know, when you're talking about the permaculture stuff, is um, and you know, by no means am I self-sufficient with this. 
uh, my girlfriend's parents' farm in North Carolina. That's going to be our long-term project, I hope. But it's a matter of, okay, so you produce enough for yourself, and then you sell the excess. Yeah. You, it's an income-producing activity, but by the same time, you're actually drawing more people into the system itself, yeah. creating that system. And, you know, like you were saying before, is that um, the people really appreciate what you're doing. They respect it. They might not do it themselves, but they definitely respect it. And you might, the light might go off inside. And they're just like, hey, you know, maybe I could do the same thing. Because we were talking about this this morning in the backyard with Rich about, um, you know, how some of the people are very appreciative of that. And they might start to do the same thing. And then it just grows and it grows and it grows and it spreads. And then you have a, I hate to use that term, paradigm shift. But maybe I like that term. Sometimes in the next couple of decades, it's going, to be, it's going to be greater, especially in a place like Columbus, which, according to what you said, has a lot better freedom, less restrictive zoning, where you can do something like that. Yeah, they're, they're, they're about urban agriculture. I think Columbus is about stuff that's cool, though. I think that's the yeah. thing. It's, it's about stuff that's cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny because the, the one, the, one the, the guy who's going to sell me the roof or has helped me with the roof from the contract company. Mm-hmm. He's a sales guy, but I mean, he's just like, so the other thing becomes like, you're going to do it. I go, no, I'm not like everybody else wants to do that. Like, why would I do that? It's too, there's too much red tape. People don't like, look, there's, if you want to fight with a bunch of regular regulatory things, do that. Like, not that I wouldn't try to make money in that stream of the economy. Right. I always kind of look mm-hmm. at, money flow like a stream and i feel like cash flow is the most important in the yeah business. i mean i feel like you just put a net out into a industry mm-hmm. and if your net's good you'll catch some money that's a i feel like i've always pictured it in my head yeah. one time i said that to my buddy he's like i don't understand what you're saying <laughs> <laughs> the guy has no vision yeah and uh and and i think so yeah it'd be good to cast a net there i think in that field though with all the regulations you probably want to be selling picks and shovels it's yeah. funny. There's a street in Indianola. Mm-hmm. It's like this main street that runs through Clintonville, which mm-hmm. is like the neighborhood next to mine. Yeah, where we went to Ray Ray's. Yeah, yeah, that's actually considered the old North. But yeah, it's all the old North Clintonville, Linden. It's all in the same little area. Like you, y'all kind of hang out. We all hang out in the same area, right? Right. So Indianola, though, there's like uh, there's like four grow shops in Indianola. So it's like, oh, I wonder what these hippies are doing out here, like. So, but, is it recreational or medicinal too? Yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter, right? They right. should be able to do that. Yeah. But I until if if I could do something personal, I might. But even then, I probably wouldn't. There'd be still there'll be so many people that want to do it mm-hmm. that it's just, and they think they're going to make so much money, and it's like, well, that's the incentive. That's which, the incentive. Which, in a way, is not bad. You know, if people it's are incentivized bad. to do it, then they're going to do it. But yeah. Is it is it a long term sustainable project? No, that's a that's a bigger question. It's it's I don't think it is. I don't think it is for each individual. Mm-hmm. For some, it will be, mm-hmm. but for most, it won't be. Right, and I think that's everything. Yeah, and that's also not to say is that your your project with your house here is. I mean, I think you could definitely make it sustainable over the long term, but that's not going to mean at some point you might have to go back and get a job. But you know, that's okay. I don't want to. But if you had to. If I had to, it'd be fine. If you fine. had to. But you could, uh, I, would, I would say you could also approach it from the fact is that, you know, I have more control about what goes on at my house. Yeah. And with my time and growing my own food, which 
you know, because again, Charles talks about this. That's you, been the clarity this week. Is you, you detach yourself a little bit at a time from the system. You know, Jack Spirico talks about that too. Yeah. Yeah. You're not, you're not going to, unless you want to completely go off the grid. I don't want to do that. Do that. But you try to take a little bit, you t- try to take a p- piece of your freedom back a little bit of a time so you can feel more in control. It's not going to be perfect. Well, and, and honestly, we didn't give away our freedom all at once. It was something that we did a little bit at a time. When incremental. I put on those 70 pounds, I didn't put them all on, on all at once. No. It came on a little bit at a time, and it's going to come off a little bit at a time. Right. I think that's just the way shit works. I mean, like, time is such a human concept, mm-hmm. and we are in a culture that we want things right here and now, mm-hmm. and it's just not realistic. No, it's not realistic. Not at all. Um, what did I want to? I was going to try to shift the conversation more towards you, but we were talking about sales. Yeah. Well, let's go back to the list. The list. Growing up. Okay, we hit uh, growing up in Northeast Ohio. We didn't talk about Asperger's. That was the first we didn't one you talked about. In on. Asperger's. That was. Uh, that was. Yeah. That was the first one we honed, honed in on. But you could pick another one from the list. Let's go back to the list here. The Asperger's. Why do you think you have Asperger's? That's a good question. Uh, I was never formally diagnosed with Asperger's, and I don't even even think they... I forget how long they've, they've been describing it as Asperger's, and they don't call it that anymore. It's aut- autism spectrum disorder. It's... Um, Probably because of the way I acted, you know, just being quite introverted. And did you think you were a dinosaur growing up? No, my brother did. He did. Yeah, he what has kind? his Aspergers. I don't know. I think it was a raptor. The way he used to put his arms, but now he's like the greatest. Now he's just amazing at fishing. He's more of a brontosaurus. <laughs> yeah, I think he's become. He's going to become a charter fisherman. I hope. Okay. I don't know. Whatever he gets interested in, he becomes really good at it. Fixated on it. Yeah. Oh, okay. he watches YouTube videos. When we go fishing, mm-hmm. this is the same brother that woke up early to, because of the neighbors at my dad's house, they just will lay on their horn at six in the morning. Oh, yeah. So it pissed my brother off so bad that he just started cutting the grass at 6 a.m. in the summertime when they're mm-hmm. not honking the horn. Yeah. To say fuck you to them. It's pretty funny. But if we go, if, if he knows we're going fishing and it's at the beginning of the season, mm-hmm. he won't sleep. Like he just stays up all night thinking about fishing, watching YouTube videos about what new techniques he wants to try and all this stuff. And mm-hmm. he's in Canada right now um, fishing and help build a fishing lodge. Nice. Yeah. And they're paying him money to do it. And it's like he gets all these opportunities. I'm just I'm super proud of my brother. I could talk about him for a while because he's, I mean, he's 10 years younger than me. So I have like that weird uncle-brother relationship because mm-hmm. he's my brother. Mm-hmm. But like, I mean, growing up, like I'd buy him video games and stuff. And because I'd want to play with him, when I was into video games, mm-hmm. and I just thought it was cool because I could afford to do it, my dad had to say, hey, you really need to stop doing that. Yeah. And I go, okay, sorry, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> well, I played video games back in the day, the old Ataris, but they were nowhere near as addictive as the ones today. Yeah. I still played outside. Well, it wasn't even why, it, because it was addictive, because now he plays computer games. It was mainly because... He would be behaving poorly or something, and, mm-hmm. and then I'd buy him a video game <laughs> because I didn't know he's behaving poorly. Pacification. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, but anyways, uh, let's go back to the list here. I totally forgot. I pulled up my phone and I got a text about my free haircut, and I forgot to okay. pull up the list here. So, Catholic school liberal arts, I think we covered, but mm-hmm. now you're an autodidact. Yes, I am too. And you got uh, before the bullshit the bachelor's of science oh mm-hmm. bullshit um sorry 
I always think it's funny when people like I have a BS. I don't like you're bullshit. And it is bullshit. It is bullshit. Um, leading three abortive attempts because of the lack of information pre-internet days. Oh yeah, we were telling your story. Yeah. Um, we we've covered a lot. Okay, so you were you were teaching. You moved to D.C. Mm-hmm. So what happened there first? So you moved to D.C. before you joined the military. I did. Yeah. And what was your what was your how would you classify yourself? politically back then were you more of a conservative were you more of a classical liberal yeah i would say i've been conservative for quite a while and since that time i've moved a little bit more libertarian yeah because you know i'm an egghead so eggheads tend to find themselves in libertarianism yeah and um do you think it's because of the moral superiority that we get from libertarianism? Well, I'm not going to go that far, Drew. Because Brett Vinat points that out. I am humble, after all. You are a humble guy. <laughs> no, you really are a humble guy. But I do see that. I do see that quite a bit. I yes. see that with atheism. I see that with permaculture. Yeah. I see that with any new thing. Right. It's like uh, moral superiority, I feel like, is a big human factor that not a lot of people talk about. Yeah, I've I've met moral superior superior people. They think sanctimonious sanctimonious people especially are the worst. And um I'm not really sure where it comes from except insecurity and the need to distinguish oneself. I yeah. mean in, in in some ways I was a little bit sanctimonious when I was younger because I was really trying to trying to distinguish myself, separate myself from the pack, especially from my class Canton pack. Yeah, the Canton pack and my classmates at school who, you know, I will say this. I really am thankful that I went to a Catholic high school and not a public high school where they still had a good grounding in the liberal arts. I mean, I talk about this stuff all the time to people, and they just look at me in awe like, really? I'd never heard of this stuff. Oh, like the trivium? Like the trivium or just, or just things that we read. You know, it's like um, you ask your average person, have you ever read The Outcast of Poker Flat? Never have. From Bret Hart. It's a short story that's a classic in American literature. From Bret the Hitman Hart. Not the same one. <laughs> Points for effort, though. <laughs> it shows my white trash background. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, James Fenimore Cooper, Washington Irving, all the famous American Washington authors. Irving, yeah. Yeah. And then when we did English literature, of course, we read Shakespeare, but how many people can quote Shelley? How many people can quote Byron? Yeah. Things like that. Shakespeare kind of sucks. Yeah. Well, Shakespeare doesn't suck, but it's just hammered down people's throats, and it's it's there's yeah. so much other That's good right. literature, and That's it's right. even um, it's something you have to study versus you don't develop an interest in it yourself. Now, yeah, I was lucky because you were introduced to, to it, and then I took it further. Yeah, and it, it's kind of like what uh, um, Nicholas Nassim Nicholas Taleb talks about. Like he was reading all these books, mm-hmm. and he because he. It was like he, he hated reading certain things because it was required of him, but he loved reading other things because it wasn't. Yeah. He talked about that in Anti-Fragile. Yeah. But that's where I started becoming an autodidact, you know, just developing that interest. I also became an autodidact because I really, I really understood is that for me to learn and to understand, I was going to have to take it into my own hands. Yeah. Rather than rely on somebody else. But that's everything in life, I feel like. Yeah, but some people never get past that. Sadly, sadly enough, like my dad, for like my dad, for example. Okay, my dad, God rest his soul, was a wonderful man, and he was very handy. He went to a vocational high school. I don't think my dad ever read Shakespeare. 
And my dad certainly had an aversion to history. It's because the way it was taught back then was you memorize dates. It was completely out of context. You had to memorize it, road learning, and take a test on it. So there was no love of learning related to that. Now, he could, he could read um, mechanics magazines or woodworking magazines. He loved doing that, and he loved working on the house. He knew how to work on the cars and all that, but he just was not. He just was not that. It sounds a lot like intell- intellectually sophisticated. I'm yeah, not saying he wasn't. I'm saying he wasn't smart. He was just not sophisticated. Yeah, that's like. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I feel like my dad's a lot like that, but I think that's why I like him. It's because mm-hmm. he's a goofball and he like he, he has fun. He works hard. He has fun, and I think. But I think sometimes like this this whole thing. I feel like because he knows how much money I was making. He's mm-hmm. like, why wouldn't you? You know, why don't you go back? I'm like, I don't want to, man. Like, it's not about that. But I think he gets that too. Like, because now him and my stepmom, you know, he's he's working his job now mm-hmm. to save money so they can buy a catamaran and mm-hmm. then they can go do their thing in their real retirement because he's doing this in retirement. Right. And I think... And how old's your dad again? He's 58. Okay. And what does he do now? Because you told me the first he's time a, we went out with Damon. He's an, he's an inspector. What kind of inspector? For the pipeline. So I am a shill for the oil companies. Okay. Because, but actually, like something Taleb talks about is like I have skin in the game because of my dad, and that's very important. Yeah. Again, that's something else that Charles really homes in on, which I is a good thing you brought that up because that's a bit on my mind recently too. Is the um, the skin in the game? Yeah. The way the society, I think, a lot of it anymore is that it, uh, you know, especially with the bureaucracy, is that there is no skin in the game. Yeah, I don't. I think that there's, you know, even with a lot of environmentalists and they talk shitter, it's it's easy to say we should all go to renewable energy and we should, and we should. Like, I'm not going to say we shouldn't, but we need oil to do that. We need fossil fuels to do that. Society would collapse if we didn't. Yeah, and, and I think it's easy to dismiss and it's easy to say, well, I'm not for any new pipelines for this. It's like, look, we... We need, unfortunately, it's like there's not a good there's not a good choice, right? So we could either do shale, which makes Ohio not go bankrupt and turn into Michigan, mm-hmm. which anybody that lives in Ohio and doesn't appreciate what shale has done from Ohio, like, look, there would be no road construction where every city you go in, even Toledo, Ohio, mm-hmm. if Ohio didn't have the money from shale oil and taxing shale oil. Mm-hmm. I mean... Like I'm pretty sure Ted Strickland. I think at one point um, they had run out of all the reserves, mm-hmm. and then John Kasich looks like some super governor, which Donald Trump pretty much pointed out pretty good <laughs> as he got lucky because of shale oil, and he did. Like that's that's yeah. no secret. John Kasich, what a piece of work he is. He's a real piece of work. He's and a, sad because I remember the Voinovich days. I had respect for him. Yeah, Voinovich. Who was the next one? It was Voinovich and then Taft. Taft. Oh, yeah. God. Taft was such a piece of work. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about the Ohio governors here. Yeah. Taft, he was he was great. He, he took pleasure in the fact that his, his relative was so fat he got stuck in a tub. <laughs> President Taft. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember that? Like, he, yeah. was, a, he was a joker, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's 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 easy to to discredit or or talk about, and it's it's just like when I know I know the other side, mm-hmm. I know the fact that there are paid protesters that are paid to protest these pipelines, mm-hmm. and I know for a fact that all that shit in North Dakota or whatever, where they're taking the Indians' land and all that shit, I know those are paid protesters. You know what I also know is is that. 
people die on pipeline jobs and they don't like to really report that stuff. No. And so apparently this is some, I can't go into the story. I might edit it out. So I'm going to tell you. So this Don't is, go off on a rant. This is some hearsay that I heard about that shit in North Dakota was when we started seeing the private security with the dogs attacking those protesters. Yeah. Well, apparently something was sabotaged on the job. And this is like hearsay from a guy that was working on that job. Mm-hmm. And some people died because of something that was sabotaged. Mm-hmm. And that's why they got private security. Yeah. And... The oil company isn't going to say protesters did something where people died. The blue-collar jobs, so people expect people to die, mm-hmm. which is just, uh, and they were talking about equality. I don't know. I like a lot of Paul Joseph Watson's videos, and the yeah. one was the one about the sports and how men and women are equal. And he's like, no, women are better at a lot of things that men aren't, and they should be happy of, like not dying in the workplace and all this stuff. Yeah. And uh, But anyways... Uh, you know, it's just not the last job my dad was on. It the pipeline it was it wasn't even like a an oil pipeline. It was a natural gas pipeline, mm-hmm. and it went through like a lot of rich people's land, like Warren Buffett and Al Gore, and mm-hmm. and they all got paid money for mm-hmm. this pipeline to go through their land. And guess what? They still paid protesters to go protest it because they wanted more money. Mm-hmm. And that's this is. I don't know, and this this isn't probably 100% true either. But again, it's hearsay, right? Right. So they went they go to colleges. Central Florida is like the third largest university in the in the in the country. It has like 45,000 people. I think it's bigger than Ohio State. It might be. I think it's a little bit smaller. As a matter of fact, I think it is the largest state university. Is in the it country. now? Yeah. It could be. So you mean to tell me that college kids wouldn't want to go protest for $15 an hour? It's better than working as a barista. I mean, shit, I went and had people sign petitions for $12 an hour, which was a lot of money back when I was in college. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and actually, I think it was less than that. And all I got to be outside all day, and I just go and ask people to sign a petition for, for basically uh, casinos. Mm-hmm. That was what I did, and I didn't, I didn't give a shit about casinos. Like It was just one of those things. It's 12 bucks an hour. That's what I cared about, and I yeah. knew I could talk people into signing it. Yeah. So you with you with your persuasion skills. Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty much it, and so I just think that it's 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 we like to make things sound simpler than things usually are simpler than what people think they we are. We make things more complicated. We than make they things are. more complicated than what they actually are, and it's and, over complexification. Yeah, and we but we at the same time we also like to make things black and white when they're not usually black and white. Yeah. So, well, that's a def- that's a default the way the human mind snaps into it because there's only so much complexity that the mind can take in at any given time. But you know, going back to what we said before about the skin in the game, I'd say that's probably the most important, especially when you're talking about risk. Yeah. If you can take risks, but definitely you are going to be more cautious and think things through a lot more thoroughly when you do have skin in the game. When you don't. You're not. Oh, somebody else will pay for it. Oh, somebody else will clean up the mess. Okay. So then you've heard the term moral hazard, what that is? No, but tell me. So moral hazard is the phenomenon that happens when you remove accountability from risk. Oh, that's Because (laughs) then instead of like investing, it becomes speculation. Like most real estate 
around Columbus, Ohio right now, it's all speculation. Yeah, well. Because people think it's going to expand. They think it's going to expand. And then the moral hazard is then people start to do shady shit. Yeah. That's a a well-documented phenomenon, moral hazard. You mean like in uh, real estate properties where they have endangered animals in Florida, so they just go and they kill the animals? That's part of it. Because they don't want their land to become sanctuary land? Because if it's sanctuary land, then they can't sell it? Yeah. Because of the speculation of what their land could be worth? Yep. Or like in the case of the last housing crash where it's uh, the subprime mortgages. Yeah. Well, now we have subprime auto loans. Yeah. Moral hazard. Yeah. Yeah. Car sales are so good right now. It's like, are they really good? Are they? They are good right now, but are those bills actually being paid? Is that financing actually getting, is it actually happening? I don't see where people come up with the money. I mean, I see all these BMWs in D.C., for example, and I have to wonder, do they do they actually pay for that in cash or are those I know, leased? I know there's... financed. You're, the city you live in is, there's, I mean, I'm going to say... 65% of the people that live there have cars that cost more than my house. Yeah. But it's a status thing. It is a status thing. I mean, ever so often you might see a Lamborghini or a Maserati or something like that. You see like that, that here, too. But, but it's, I mean, what's very common is range, fairly common are Range Rovers, BMWs, a couple of Mercedes, and even in not-so-nice areas. Yeah. Because, again, it's a status thing. Because people get approved. Well, they get approved, but some you, of those are also used cars. Mm-hmm. Like I had heard somebody talk about as if there's a, like it's a 2011 Mercedes parked in the street, you have to wonder what condition the engine's in. It's interesting. So the body's good, but the, the body's good, but the engine's shit. Yeah. But it's still a Mercedes. Yeah. I, uh, I'm pretty happy with my 2003 Ford Focus mm-hmm. and my 1991 Chevy 1500. It's called a Cheyenne back then, not a Silverado. Okay. So V6, mm-hmm. it's a big, big V6. It's good for hauling shit. You know, it, it's for an urban farmer, fuck yeah. I mean, I can go get compost. I can go get a bunch of shit in it. I can take it to the farmer's market. Mm-hmm. It actually runs better than my car. Um, has a little bit more miles. It has about 64,000 miles more than my car, but it's only 164,000. So I'm pretty happy with uh, with my vehicles. Each of them costs $1,000. I have... And it does the job. Does the job, point A, point B. Mm-hmm. There's air conditioner in my car now that I got it charged, but it is leaking. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's just different things. I know I know enough about my model of Ford Focus that when the timing belt goes, uh, it totals my car. So I mean, I'm going to... It has a bell that doesn't have a chain? Correct. Yeah, so I... Wow, the Escorts, they had chains. Yeah, the Escorts were a little bit better than... No, the, no, no. That, I'm sorry. that That's not true. The, the Escorts did have a, a belt. Yeah. Toyota, my Toyota Corolla had a chain in it. Got it. Yeah. Well, it's Toyota. It's a little bit better than a Ford. Yeah. That's um, right. So I'm going to preventatively take it to my good buddy uh, Steve Harbalt or whatnot, and whatnot's going to change my um, my timing belt because it's at a hundred thousand miles. Now, at the same time, I also know that there's a water pump right next to the timing belt. Yeah. And you might as well just change it while you're there. Yeah. So, yeah, man. So that's I know enough about my shitty vehicles. I know that there's a website where I can buy any part for my truck for really cheap called mm-hmm. like LMC Trucks. Mm-hmm. And you know you know what I find this shit out? Is other people that have those vehicles are like, yeah, these vehicles are gems because they're cheap to fix, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. They give you a whole bunch of resources. Why? Because they value the fact that you value the same thing that they value. So Yeah, they do. So that's part of your network. That also is the fact that 
since you have a vehicle that can be you can easily find parts for, yeah, and it still runs, you actually have saved yourself money, yeah. thereby releasing you of the obligation to make more money. That's right. That's right. So you know everything that you talked about before is also another phrase that I'm I'm trying to incorporate more and more in my own life is win by not losing. Yeah, win by not losing. It's a great way to live. Yeah, I don't. Mm-hmm. That's the interesting thing. Like I, I I think about you know. Kevin, man, Kevin really said that good on that last podcast. Like, I don't want to be Gary V. I don't want to work all the time. So what? So people can look look to me as their their hero. I don't want to be anyone's hero, man. But what? Yeah, and what does Gary V. really say that is applicable to the the common person? Nothing. What does Tony Robbins say that's applicable to the common person? Nothing. Not a whole lot. No. He's trying to help you be great. I want yeah. you to be great, which I agree too. I want you to be the best you you can be, but I want you to fuck up too, and I want you to like get over shit, and I want you to get out there and live your life and enjoy it. Or why expend so much energy to, I mean, working harder, not smarter? Yeah, Acres of, of Diamonds, man. Mm-hmm. You know that story? Acres and Diamonds? Acres of Diamonds. Uh, if I'll put a link in the show notes if I remember. Um, but uh, you can Google acres of diamonds. Basically this guy, it's, uh, he's looking for diamonds. He's a farmer. He's got all this land and he decides he wants to get rich. He's tired of farming and go search the world for diamonds. So he sells his farm. He goes around the world looking for diamonds, doesn't find any, and he dies broke. Then a year after he died, the little girl of the people of the family that bought his farm is playing in the stream on his farm and starts seeing these shiny rocks and they found out they had acres of diamonds. Hmm. So instead of looking where he already was, he yeah. sold everything and went in search of the world to find mm-hmm. what he was actually already at. Yeah. That ties into when people leave um, their birthplaces. Sometimes they just need to go away to... Yeah to find out that what they came from was actually pretty good. Yeah, which is interesting, too, because I feel like I don't, I don't think you want to return to Cat- Canton, but I think you're looking to get out of the city, which is interesting. I do want to touch on why you joined the military mm-hmm. at 32 years of age. Yeah, that's what a lot of people ask. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a complicated story. I mean, uh, as I told you when we were over at Ray Ray's, it was um, the thing that kept frustrating me when I was younger, is that I was running into roadblocks. And the, the analogy I used describing it to people back then is that I wasn't getting enough wind in my sails. Yeah. Part of that was because of a lack of information. You know, like I said, if the internet as it exists today had existed 20 years ago, I probably could would have learned a lot quicker and made some other decisions, and that would have increased my confidence points to take other risks that I didn't feel comfortable taking because I didn't have enough info. Yeah, but now you're kind of, I think it's interesting because even when you you were telling us a story about the military, like you strategically went into the military. I did. And I went, went enlisted and not officer, which yeah. baffles some people too. But as I was explaining to you in the line is that the way it works on the Army side for officer corps is that you're trained to be a generalist and then you're branched. So especially in the case of males, you could end up as an infantry officer. 
Now, for some people, that's fantastic. That's that's their lifelong dream, what they do in the military. But for a lot of people, eh, why would you want to go in combat arms? You're going to get shot at. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that if if I had, if I got my branch, which I was signal in the Army communications, that doesn't mean I would have had the hands-on. Now, especially in IT tech, at some point you're going to have to do the hands-on. If you worked at a, as a programmer and then made, and then um, got to be a project manager and then maybe gone to the sales from then, that's more of a predictable and logical progression versus doing it backwards. This is this is a reason why you have a lot of techs that are young guys. You know, yeah. they, they've been programming in high school and they they are they're whiz bang programmers, but they don't understand anything about business or understanding about uh, managing people because they just haven't worked long enough. Yeah. So I chose to go enlisted because I wanted to do my job, which I, in fact, did. And in the process, I became something of a project manager just by default because so, you're, you're in those positions where, yeah, you, ha- you have to do the hands-on, but you also have to take charge and plan things out, especially when you're, like I was deployed to Iraq twice, you have to plan things out because you're separate from your, your headquarters command and you're under a small group and you have to you have to actually know what you're doing. It's a scary thing to know what you're doing. It's a what? It's a scary thing for people to know what they're doing. That's right. It's a lot of responsibility with That's knowing right. what you're doing. That's right. And you have to work within very tight constraints. You yeah. only have so many so much time, so many resources, and you all have to work together. Skin in the game. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you don't, you know what the consequences could be. Yeah. You're fucked. Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. And and so and too, so you you decided to get into IT mm-hmm. once you moved back home from South Korea. Mm-hmm. Then you moved to Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. and you were trying to get into IT there, and it just wasn't working out. And that's when you went in the military. Yeah. So when I was in D.C., I was I was doing IT for nonprofits, small uh-huh. to mid-sized ones, and it was very specific what we were focusing on. This was still at the time when the tech bust had happened, but there was sort of a an echo wave. Yeah. in different areas, and nonprofits were, I'd say, at least five years behind the curve in terms of an IT infrastructure. I feel like they're still so far behind the curve. Yeah, but back in 2001, 2003, different story entirely. But then, I mean, it was working in a startup-y type of environment that just yeah. wasn't really going anywhere because the, the, not, the parent nonprofit that was supporting it was starting to run into trouble. It so, seems like they do that when you have to beg people for money. Yeah, but this this was a national nonprofit too. I mean, they they became embroiled in a scandal, mm. unfortunately. So they lost a lot of their funding in certain sectors, and then they were just in turmoil. So it's like I'm really leave. hoping that happens to the American Heart Association because <laughs> they take most of their money from drug companies, and yeah, they're just total bullshit. But anyways, yeah, yeah. So so, so you went in the military. You were there the military, six years. Six you deployed years. to Iraq twice. Yes. But when did but you you finished your career in Germany? Yes. So I was at two duty stations. One was at Fort Benning in Georgia, home of the infantry, and then the remaining three years I was in Germany. Okay. So then you get out. Twenty ten. Twenty ten. When I decided to move back to Columbus. Mm-hmm. And what what did you decide to do then? Move back to D.C.? So I came back and I was in Ohio for a little while because that was, you know, they call it your home of record, wherever you enlisted. And then some people, they can either go back to their home of record or they can transition out to wherever their last duty station was. Well, 
I didn't want to do it in Germany. It was difficult to do that. So I was just going to come back to the States. And my long-term plan was I was going to go back to down to D.C. Didn't quite know what incapacity. Yeah. Either working for the government or working in contractor for the government. So I was going down to D.C. to job fairs and trying to get into the defense sector, which I had already had the experience and I had a clearance. And then I ended up in the DOD as a government employee. So that's what you wanted, though, right? That's what I wanted, right. So now, why did you want to go work in the government as a libertarian? Um, understanding that all is not wine and roses, and you have to you have to adjust to what the reality is. Yeah, I think I think I I agree and because I, because if anybody doesn't really understand, Washington D.C. is really a one industry town, government industry, the federal, the federal government. Yeah, I think... Like I was telling you and Rich before, is that how would I describe the average D.C. person? Yeah. You work for the government. You're a contractor that works for a government. You're a lawyer. You're a lawyer that works for the government. You're a lobbyist. You're involved in some kind of contracting or something to do with nonprofits, NGOs, the State Department, international affairs, and then everybody else. Yeah, or you're a car salesman with expensive cars. That too. However, there are some Fortune 500 companies that are based in Northern Virginia, not far from D.C., AOL was based there. That uh, Steve Case was a piece of work, that's for sure. Yes, he was. Yeah. I was was. reading that in the uh, book Mindset by Carol Dweck. Mm -hmm. I think that's your name. And he was definitely somebody that had a fixed mindset, Mm -hmm. not a growth mindset. No. It's true. I think think that's, uh, I think it's easy for people to say, well, I don't believe in government, so I never work for it. But it's like, like, man, you're paying into it. You might as well take advantage of benefits. Yeah, and actually working in the government, it's, I mean, so there actually are some sectors that are better and even more tolerable than other ones. Yeah. Like working in the Department of Defense, depending on where you're at, it actually be not as bad versus working at, you know, Housing and Urban Development, which I understand is not one of the better agencies to end up in. No. No. I mean, the problem that a lot of people face in D.C. is that uh, it's the traffic. The traffic is... In the top three worst in the nation. Yeah, you were saying if you cut to D.C., don't drive, just take the uh, take the subway. Yeah. They have the largest underground, too, from my understanding. Mm, no, I think New York has more. Yeah? Yeah. But D.C. covered more distance. Well, D.C. is a hub and spoke. Yeah. Everybody goes into D.C., everybody goes out of D.C. Yeah, that's what I mean, like, largest yeah. underground, like, for how, how far out it takes you. Like, yeah. it covers the most area. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, in uh, 2019, the, the last section of the Silver Line is going to be completed. So that, that takes you from just east of downtown D.C. all the way out past Dulles Airport. That's crazy. Cause that's at least an hour drive. Dulles, yeah. I remember I had to take a taxi to Dulles, and it was a fucking $40 cab ride. Yeah, Dulles is far out. It's annoying. Yeah. I'm yeah. glad I didn't fly into Dulles the next time I flew into... Yeah. Oh, no, no. The next time I came down there, I took the Greyhound. (laughs) (laughs) Andrew, you're a glutton for punishment. Well, the Greyhound was like an interesting experience. It was me, this suburban kid at the time who was remembering that he came from a poor white trash community. (laughs) He was always the outsider in his suburban town because he came from a poor white trash community. And... uh, so riding, you know, on the Greyhound where the only other white people were usually Amish hmm. for the most part. 
and then and that was in Ohio. And then mm-hmm. I remember this guy was moving to DC from Baltimore. Another guy was moving to DC from Louisville, and like people were moving, and they had bags full of stuff, like you know, inner city black kids. They were moving from like that's strange from somebody one would family take, to stay with another. It's strange that somebody would take a Greyhound bus from Baltimore to DC when they could take the train. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean this was in oh, well. 2004 you still could take the train back. yeah and then the the one guy i remember we picked he was he came up from i remember i sat next to him most of the way another guy he was taking the greyhound because he was getting into college football I remember i was studying to be like a personal trainer and he was like yeah if i can take steroids and make it in the nfl i'm gonna do it and i was like interesting interesting i would, I would never take steroids no it was just like why, why more power I, to you yeah, why would I do that to my body? But it was like, that's why I, I didn't make it into football because I didn't give a fuck. Yeah. I didn't. I was like, no. You didn't have passion. I didn't. You didn't have passion. I didn't have the passion for no, it. No, no. I think I have passion for what I'm doing now. I think it's. I think it's. It's something that's cool, and I think it's. I feel. I feel. I feel fulfilled. It's fulfilling. But also remember one thing, Drew. I really hate when people talk about passion because it's just such a, it's a co-opted and an overused word. That's like devoid paradigm of shift? Is that what you don't like that? Yeah, I like paradigm shift, except within the original context, it did make a lot of sense. I mean, um, you can have passion, but you can't have purpose. Yeah. And I think purpose is going to carry you over the long term. Yeah. Passion will come and go. Okay, I'm looking at what we've covered. We've actually covered a lot of stuff. Why are you reluctant to be a member of Generation X? Uh, hmm. I don't like labels. Yeah, I don't like labels either. Yeah, I like contrarian though. Right yeah, now, I like contrarians. I t- I tell you a story about this. I just like they do about millennials nowadays. They really were harping on that Generation X back in the day. They're like Generation X sucks. Yeah, they're and, lazy. Yeah, and I remember this. I remember encountering. Seems this. like they say that about every up and coming generation. They do. What are we going to do about this generation? And then those people just let them live. Then those people stop being young. They get some kids and they learn how to be responsible. And we're like the new generation. It's like you mean the fucking generation that you raised. <laughs> yeah. That you're complaining about the generation that you raised. Yeah. Like, it's like everybody wants to blame everybody's problems on this. What are we supposed to do? You know what these millennials do? They live in their parents' basement. Do you know why they live in their parents' basement? Because we fucked the housing industry. And then do you know what else we did? We told everybody they needed to get college degrees. So now everyone's overqualified. And you know what? They could probably get a job as a janitor. But we made them think that that's a shitty job. That's the same thing. Drew, you're sounding very cynical now. I am, and I should, because <laughs> we 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 steered people away from skilled labor positions, mm-hmm. and like Michael Jordan, uh, the Bee Whisperer, was, he did this live video. He's like, he's like kind of retired in reality. Like he just he he got a job because his wife wanted him to. Like he had his own business, but she wanted some benefits. Mm-hmm. So he's like uh, in charge of the custodial staff at his local school, and it's like a it's a vocational school, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a and uh, he goes, yeah, this is like my retirement gig. And I'm the youngest one out of all of us. Nobody's going to school to be for the custodial arts. <laughs> and it's like, but what's funny is nobody is. Yeah. And it's like a job where you could you could work at a school system, get a good pension. I know a guy who does that. In fact, my mom's former next door neighbor does that. 
Yeah, you just become a journeyman, mm-hmm. and then you fix shit. Yeah, so what? You got to clean up some puke. You got to clean up some poop. You got to do some shitty work. But guess what? If you're working a job, it's shitty. Yeah, I mean, really, it really is a shitty job. Yeah, it really is a shitty job. But every job is kind of shitty, right? Right. So it's just the whole point. It's like, you know, we're going to complain about a generation that we've created a world that they can't that we've we've created a world that we haven't pre- prepared them for exactly in a sense we created this alternative world when we prepared them for a fake world yeah which is what school does that indeed that indeed i think it's even worse now than it was back when i was in school it's worse now than when i was in school yeah. i mean i could complain about the generation or i could say yeah. hey guys i feel sorry for you but guess what it's bullshit okay you okay. do whatever you want to do just learn some fucking skills that's right you know, you're at, the question is, why am I reluctant to be a part of Generation X? It's because um, the litany of problems that they describe with the X, like uh, latchkey kids coming from broken homes, divorced parents. That sounds like me. I was a latchkey kid. They didn't, I came from a broken home. They graduated into a, a world where there are no jobs. But I thought, I thought to myself, it's like, you know, a lot of this stuff didn't happen to me. And more importantly, I didn't want that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I... I took a different path. I, I followed the beat of a different drummer. Yeah, I feel like I, I try to uh, blaze my own trail. And maybe I am predictable. Maybe I don't have free will, as the libtard Sam Harris says. <laughs> 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 he really is a libtard. I actually like that word. I actually, that was a word I used to hate because of the fucking dumb redneck neocons or... You know, people that I know that just watch Bill O'Reilly and Sean Hannity and would pair it with whatever they said, right? But they're the flip side of the lip turn. They are. And they're the ones that used it. And then I was like, wait, when I use that word, it's hilarious. You can own that word. I can own libtard. Yeah. So now I can start calling people libtards. And Sam Harris is like a king of the libtards. Yeah. I really feel sorry for Charles Hugh Smith who's living in Berkeley. Yeah. He's right there at Ground Zero. It's so funny because Charles is like such a nice, like... He's like a He's a lot more reserved than me. I think I can I can get I can get some stuff out of him when he gets a couple beers in him and he has fun cuz he can cut loose a little bit. Yeah. But like uh he he has It's so weird. You would think a guy that owns you know that owns like rental property in Berkeley would probably be happy about his astronomical rates but he's not no he knows because that it's the, because of the up. tenants that are there yeah that's that's something that you know because i'm talking with a buddy of mine to look into getting some rental property in virginia not in dc and you really you and knowing what i know you really have to stop and think very long and hard about what kind of tenants am i going to want and i'm not going to rent it to just anybody what kind of customers do i want what kind of customers do you want yeah i i thought about real estate too and then i thought like uh the landlord next to me who owns the house next to me, like he tries super hard to get good tenants. And when I told him, when I told him about his tenants, he's like, "God, stupid tenants!" Like, because I told him, like, um, "You, I mean, I, I, I think I know where you're going with this." And I've, I've found myself in the same situation. Is like, I don't think I'm anything special, but compared to everybody else i'm definitely above average i'm definitely above average yeah. without even trying which is all you have to be yeah. right you right. just if you can bring something if you can bring something that's better than average mm-hmm. 
They're going to be really happy and grateful for it. He pays rent on time. And it's, he keeps it's, it clean. It's not even hard to be better than average. No. Because average is so low now. Right. Is that a good thing? It's good. It it's, could be argued that it's good for us, but yeah, it's, it's not good, good for, for us, us. But it's unfortunate in the longer term. It's because you you know what you're dealing with. Maybe you don't have to deal with them as neighbors, but you deal with them as customers. Yeah. I don't want assholes. That's what I decided. I got paid to deal with somebody else's assholes. Customers, I don't want any asshole customers. Mm-hmm. If you're an asshole, you can do business somewhere else. I don't yeah. want your money. Take right. it back. It's not, not worth the pain and agony. It's, it's not. You were laid off too and glad for it. Your previous firm embodied offshoring ethos and the systems over people dynamic. Let's, let's break that down. Okay. So uh, there's a very good blog I read too. It's called Out of Your Rut. You read a lot, by the way. I like, do. It's very impressive. Like you read so much. I I don't even I don't even think I check out five percent of the stuff you send me. Yeah. Not that I don't like. I like keep sending me stuff, but mm-hmm. it's just like, man, Tim goes through shit. Like I, I felt like I consume a lot of information. Mm-hmm. Man, I'm not even close. But maybe I do. Maybe it's just like I get in my own little my own little rabbit holes, and I'm like, oh, right. maybe I'll. I, I'm not ready to go down this one yet. Right. You feel that yeah. way? Yeah, I mean, there's information overload and exhaustion after yeah. gathering so much. I mean, the thing that I like about these blogs is that they um, they connect the dots for me. Yeah, you always know that there's something's not quite right, and then when yeah. somebody comes out with it and they have a very detailed, cohesive argument again for it, and you're just like, ah, okay, that explains why. You know, just we were saying before is that. You can be above average without even trying, simply because the people that are around you are, are substandard from years ago. Mm-hmm. And you're like, that's why. Yeah. You know, you're, you're racking your brain. It's just like, this, this, what I do every day is common sense, and it's, not, it's nothing special. But a lot of the people, they just are not there. Yeah. They're just not there. But anyways, with this Out of Rut blog is um, the guy who runs it. I actually talked with him on the phone not too long ago. He lives in New Hampshire. And one of his guest articles was um, talking about employers that uh, one reason that there's such a problem with getting employment is because systems are prioritized over people. And the guy who wrote the article really went down into detail about why this is. And he's talking about large employers, too. That's why you should build systems for yourself, right? That's right. However, you know, if the... I mean, one of the problems is that when you're talking, one point in in particular was like he said, in years past, you know, if you worked for a large company and you got laid off, it wasn't the end of the world because a small business, a local business could have picked you up. And the person who ran the small business, if they lost their business, they could go work at one of the other businesses. But those are gone now. It's because of the large multinational corporations or like like in the big box stores. What are the big box stores too? They suck the oxygen out of the atmosphere so you don't have any mom-and-pop stores. Sure, you could go work at Walmart or Target, but if you lose your job, you don't have a small business to go to. Yeah, but they're struggling now because Amazon. Yeah. And then Amazon's going to kill them, mm-hmm. and then people are going to have shit delivered to their door, and then they'll probably eventually get sick of that, and then... It's going to come full circle. It always does. They'll probably relocalize. Yeah, it has to. Mm-hmm. It just it, it just has to, and I think... Man, it's, it's just the way shit works. It works in cycles, just like the climate, 
the economy, mm-hmm. anything. Mm-hmm. There's cycles. And we don't always understand it because mm-hmm. humans really can't. We're not as smart as we think we we're are. We're very poor at predicting the future. We're not designed that way. No. Nope. We're not future predictors. Nope. Remember Yogi Berra, the future ain't what it used to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, it's... Um, that's that's a good that's a good point there. This is a long podcast, but I'm having fun. It's flowing well. It's a free form podcast, guys. Working in the federal government for five years and seeing a, a brand of pro women, pro black, and SJW wing at work, even in the Department of Defense. You want to elaborate on that? Well, I mean, it's just the um... not to say that you're not a, that you're anti black or anti women, mm-hmm. but. You know, I've been reading so much Thomas Sowell and, I, and never heard of the Hoover Institute and just really enjoying his interviews with Peter Robinson. I think Peter Robinson does a really good job of, if anybody hasn't checked out the Hoover Institute, Thomas Sowell, just, mm-hmm. just YouTube, go down that YouTube rabbit hole. It's really good. I like Thomas Sowell. I don't agree with everything he says, but his study in culture is, is really, I feel like, dead on. And uh, it resonates with me quite a bit. But they were talking about why, what is the benefit of fighting for social justice? And there's really not any. It's, it's but, a what, but what is social justice? It's a construct of, it's, it's a construct of fighting a simulation. It's a good way of defining it. It, it just, that's, that's what it is. It's fighting, it's trying to say that we're special, like point us out. And everything that you do that to mm-hmm. sets that group back mm-hmm. because you're not allowing that group to face that adversity, right? Deal with adversity, right? And in uh, white, or white liberals, black rednecks, or black black rednecks, white liberals. That book. I mean, they they talks a lot about the middlemen um, mm-hmm. groups and and all this other stuff. I mean, there's there's the, the books filled with just like the history of that. And, um, and, and even why is it that, you know, young black men or just blacks in general, their unemployment rate was way lower in the forties before the civil rights movement. Why is that? And a lot of that has to do with minimum wage. I think minimum wage, you know, I asked my grandpa this, like, were you happy for minimum wage when it happened? He goes, yeah, I was, um, and then I think he realized too that it, it just kind of got out of control. And, and it also talks about how minimum wage was actually even created to, to keep blacks out of jobs. Yeah. And it, and it because it was like, Price well, them out of the market. Yeah. Because unfortunately, they, yeah, they, you know, they, so here's the thing. So it's easy to say, yeah, but when the blacks were working back then, they were making less money. That's true. But at the same time, they could climb the ladder. Mm-hmm. They would learn skills to climb the ladder. And something Thomas Sowell said was when he was in the Marines, mm-hmm. he was a photographer during the Korean War. And he said that the, the biggest black, the biggest white redneck came up to him and knew, didn't even question, but knew that he was good at his job and saw that he was black and said, oh, well, he must be good if he's black because that's an anomaly. So people would accept him more. Yeah. And versus now where with things that don't have empirical data, like, um, uh, what is that? Uh, it's not quotas. It's different. Uh, affirmative action. Affirmative action. Because of affirmative action and quotas, 
people don't feel the same way. It's no. like people definitely will say, well, they just they must have just gotten hired because they were black or they're not getting fired because they're black or they need this. And it sucks, man. Like it just sucks. And I, and and I and I don't think and I I know people to me that cuz man, I I'm going to be honest, growing up I always got along better with with blacks and I was a lot more similar to them because I think we came from similar cultures mm-hmm. because being a white hillbilly redneck white trash person my culture was very much more similar to a black person's you know my mom was sophisticated my mom was an intellectual she was probably the first um you know she was the only one of her siblings that got a college degree mm-hmm. um went back to college all that stuff but you know i felt like my mom tried to get us away from that uh culture but in reality i felt more comfortable in that culture cuz i felt like it it was more common i didn't want to be i didn't think i didn't identify with the other people i didn't identify and i don't think my mom did either like i did it was weird we went to hilliard cuz it was supposed to be a good school and it was all white and Man, I, even even like the 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 kids that moved there from the inner city because they knew they had better sports opportunities. They said if I would have stayed where I was, I would never have gotten involved in drugs or started smoking weed or mm-hmm. drinking booze. But because now of where I am, you know, I there's less isolation. I think if you're an inner, I don't know, this could just be me, but I'm thinking if you're an athlete and you're in the inner city, you want to stay out of trouble. You're trying to stay out of trouble. So you isolate yourself and you stay away from the trouble so you keep a cleaner nose versus if you move to a suburb school to where it's nicer, you might not do that. You're going to enjoy it more because it's safer. I don't know. I could be wrong. Well, you go back to you know the very top of the podcast when we we're talking about J.D. Vance and technology. Yeah. It's just a cultural thing. Yeah. I mean, in my case, I grew up in the suburbs. And I told you about my mom when she worked at the school. So it was a very, very tight, cohesive family. Yeah. However, my extended family ties are weak. Like, I'm not very close to my dad's side of the family. I haven't been. Which is the Irish. That's the Irish. Yeah. That's on that side. The one I went to the... um, Rust Belt Irish. Right. Rust Belt Irish. But it was because of the dynamics of the family. Like My dad was one of eight kids. And so my grandma and grandpa, they kind of had their favorites. And I was closer to my mom's side of the family because that's just how it was. Yeah. And both sides of the family were solidly working class, you know, maybe lower middle class type of thing. None of them were upscale, upper middle class type of thing that I, that I clearly don't identify with. Could I talk to such people? Sure. Do I identify with what they're... Their values are well. It depends. You know, if you're if we're talking about college professors, sure, I could chat with college professors all the time. And my girlfriend's father is a, father and stepmother are college professors, and she comes from a definitely a liberal university town. She so, comes. She has a libtard background. Uh, I'm, just, say, I'm just saying. I'm yeah, just I wouldn't teasing. say she was. I wouldn't say that she was. Lib- I'm not saying she is. Okay. <laughs> she comes from a libtard culture. <laughs> I would. I know she definitely is not lip turned. I know. I know. Dad, but, I, I've never met your girlfriend. I'm sure she's but, lovely. But so. in a university town, there are such lip turns. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Ones that are very. They live in a bubble. Yeah. They they subscribe to certain. What is it called? It's called uh, they're the weirds. White. Um, God. 
Jonathan Hyde talks about it. Keep talking, and I'll I'll swipples. Swipple? What's swipple? Never heard swipple? No. Stuff white people like? Stuff white people like. Like yeah. sad white people movies? Like every movie that... Well, I mean, uh, these, were, these would be the type of... The like silver like, lining? Like pumpkin spice lattes. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, Land's End, Sierra Club, all that stuff. There's okay. actually a website. It's with stuff white people like. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty good. Uh, okay, weird... It's white. Keep going. So anyway, so that's where she comes from. Yeah. So um, you know, what I was saying about culture is that you, it's hard to to extricate yourself from your culture because that's what you grew up and that's what your identity is formed from. Unless you're somewhat of an oddball where you, you know, you're you're marching to the beat of a different drummer and you want to find your own tribe. And that takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of pain and suffering in some instances. But I think it's well worth it. It's because you define yourself. You become, you know, to use Maslow's terms, more self-actualized as you progress through life. Weird is Western educated and from industrialized, rich, democratic countries. Weird. Okay. Yeah. I have to remember that one. Yeah, Hunter Motz told me that. Yeah. Anyways, keep going. Yeah, and so also getting back to me is that... Uh, Speaking with different people over the years, is uh, there was a guy I used to know in the D.C. area, a quite old guy. He was in his 80s, originally from New York. And uh, he said, you know, you could have easily gone to Columbia. And I said, why do you think that? He says, well, first of all, you got the smarts. He said, but second of all, you, you also have a little bit of that liberal arts background. And in Columbia, at least the way he understood it is, they definitely work you through the liberal arts. They're not like some of the other Ivy League or upscale schools where it's just like a check mark. Yeah. finishing school and you already know that you're going to Wall Street or whatever it is, but they really school you in the liberal arts. And I thought to myself, yeah, I probably could have, but at the time I really wasn't emotionally ready for that. Yeah. And I did not see myself living in New York City. No. That would have been tough. I would never want to live there. I think I'd do fine there. Yeah. But, um, yeah, man, I want the simple life, man. Like, a, I like living in a cow town. Yeah. And besides, now with the internet, you can teach yourself all kinds of things. That's right. There's no need to leave. No. That's the whole thing. Like, Joe Rogan talks about that a lot. Like, look, the, the rural America isn't what it used to be Mm-mm. because there's the internet now. Yeah. And we, you can get on and learn anything. Like, yeah. that's why my farming mentors are from Canada. Mm-hmm. And um, so... And just the cities we talked about in Ohio is that <clears throat> Toledo has the, had the industrial base... And then it was in the, the doldrums for a while, but now it's okay. And Columbus, you know, Columbus is the capital, so it's definitely a political town, but I don't know what else is Columbus is known for back in the day. Buckeye uh, Steel. It's where the, the Bushes got rich. The Bushes made their first millions in Columbus, Ohio. They're actually Ohioans. Fun fact. Then Prescott went and became a banker, and then mm-hmm. I think they migrated to Texas. Some, I forget the history of it. And they became oil men. Yeah, they became oilmen from steelmen. That's yeah. true. Mm-hmm. Moving to the corporate world and still being inside of it. Did we already cover that? I think we did. I think so. My interest in permaculture, relocalization, CHS, true mm-hmm. sample. That's me. Yeah. Uh, degrowth and heading south after DC. Mm-hmm. Um, did we kind of cover that? So I don't think we said you got a PDC. Mm-hmm. Permaculture Design Certificate. How do you feel now? Do you feel like you can change the world? Do you want to put swales everywhere? Do you want to berm every hill you see and collect all the water from all the rain? No. Far from it. 
Okay. So did it make you more purple? Did you feel a little bit more purple after the PDC? What do you mean by purple? You've said That's that term before. It. Yeah, it's the, the, the hippies. So there's like two different, um, there's like the get shit done people. There's people that actually want to do shit mm-hmm. um, in permaculture. Then there's people that want to have a prayer to Gaia before every meeting and <laughs> talk about social, social justice and all this other shit. Oh, I'm definitely not that. I'm more in the first camp. Yeah. Yeah, so what? What? what is... Um, so I can tell you about what we covered in our permaculture class, my experience. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> you got your black belt now. Sort of. <clears throat> so you're, you're, you're ready to go get your ass kicked. I'm ready to go get my ass kicked. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, so um, <clears throat> the, the permaculture class that my girlfriend and I did was in uh, southern Maryland, a place called Akokik, which has a working farm, and it has okay. a working historical farm. Akokik, if you look at it on a map, it's right on the Potomac, and it's right across... In Virginia is Mount Vernon, Washington's estate. Yes. So it's a working, working permaculture farm. It is also it's also a working historical farm that existed from the early 18th century. So what are their crops? So they do do tobacco, small scale. They have tobacco barns. How dare they? A lots of they call uh, themselves permaculture and they support a plant like tobacco. They have tomato, corn, they raise sheep and goats. It's a pretty interesting place. We're thinking about doing some more volunteering work in the fall. Did you guys go to... um, How far are you from um, Polyface Farm, Joel Salatin's farm? He's in Virginia. Yeah, he's near Stanton. You guys gone down there yet? We've been thinking about it. I think he's about... How far is Stanton? Hour and a half away? Yeah. He's very close. It's a lot closer than me. I'm just saying. You've, you've, yeah. I mean, I'm close to your family, but even then, I think that's still closer than me from yeah. Canton. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think it's worth. I'd like to go down there at least before Joel kicks the bucket, which yeah. I'm pretty sure he's got some time left. Well, if you're coming but, down that way, you can stay with us in DC. That's right. That's right. I don't know when. It's weird. I'm such a traveling guy. I like to travel and be on the move. But been reading Gene Logsdon's books, and he's just like, yeah, shit goes wrong when you're out of town. Like, mm-hmm. went out of town, and my roof started leaking. <laughs> Luckily, Rich was here. Yeah. So to to put a bucket underneath the leak and and put put cut up a trash bag and cover my TV and soundbar that I never use, but cover everything in plastic. Yeah. Um. Yeah, because he just says whenever you leave and you have animals, your animals get out and things go wrong whenever you leave. Mm-hmm. So don't just get used to not leaving. Get used to not going anywhere. Create your own paradise at your home. Yeah. That's the same thing. I mean, it's like in permaculture. Um, Bill Mollison said, "Okay, put on your fuzzy slippers." This is just kind of like a parable, more so. And okay, go, uh, go, go collect eggs mm-hmm. for your chickens and cut your herbs from your omelet, mm-hmm. wearing your fuzzy slippers. And if those get muddy, then you didn't design something right. It was just kind of an idea of what you want your zone one to be and all this. I don't even remember what the zones are. I was getting really into permaculture and I was getting really purple and and focused on different techniques instead of really understanding that it's like a system of science in a sense. But you know what the danger of that is? Mm. You become a weenie. Yeah. You don't want to become a weenie. I was becoming a weenie. And thankfully, I had Curtis Stone on the podcast and we had a four-hour conversation afterward. Yeah. And he just really hit me in the head with some reality. And I was like, oh to know and then yeah. i got back on the urban farming path besides about your place you wouldn't even get outside of zone one that's where you spend the most time <laughs> i have zone one yeah yeah 
Yeah, I don't have I don't have animals here for that reason. Well, you're not of the sufficient scale. No, I mean, I, I maybe I could run chickens, but it's just then you're just. What happens if they run on the street? Yeah, and then also too, there's the cities being a, they're being dicks about chickens and yeah, like Rich had had chickens and rabbits at his spot, but he had actually had a place for them. Yeah. Like his chickens weren't um. They couldn't go roam around, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So, but uh, anyways, I think with that being said, do you think we've covered everything today? I think we have, unless you have any additional questions. I mean, this was going to be free-form podcast free-form. Based, on, based on a list that I provided. And we're but... over two hours. I think we covered the list, though. Yeah. That's what I wanted. I, w- I was glad you got to hang out and um, almost go to the wrong house. That was pretty funny. I was like, yeah, Tim's here, and you started walking the wrong way. I knew he couldn't be far away. <laughs> and I was just like, Tim, Tim. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is fun, man. I'm glad we got to hang out. Uh, it's 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 cool to meet smart people like you. And then you tell me that you listen. And then I'm like, all right. I must be doing something right. You got good stuff to say. I like your guests, too. I appreciate that, man. It's, it's cool to have things come first full circle. Yes. Since I started... I started uh, the podcast because I was depressed and I needed some creative outlet. You were depressed? Yeah, I was super depressed. Mm. When I started, I uh, I hated my life. I was selling phones and um, I bought podcast equipment and it sat in my house for almost a year. Before that, I thought I wanted to be a DJ, bought DJ equipment, didn't want to put in the time to learn. You don't have a DJ's voice. No. Well, I wanted to be like a like a DJ shadow type guy, like make some weird electronic music and then I just quickly realized that yeah, that's 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 not what I'm supposed to do. Talk radio. I, I realized my free will wouldn't let me do that because I don't have any free will. But does will. free will exist? <laughs> not we according to we Sam haven't Harris. we haven't answered this question. I didn't read his book, so I like to just shit on Sam Harris because it trolls rich. So, I don't really like Sam Harris because he is a libtard. I think he's a little bit uh, condescending too. Yeah, because he's a weird. You know who I, you know who I really like amongst the um, the luminaries that are out there on the internet is Jordan Peterson. Love Jordan Peterson. Mm-hmm. Jordan Peterson's helped me out quite a bit um, because he's he has functional stuff like I. I, did you did you sign up for a self authoring course? I did, but I haven't gotten around to writing. Me yet. neither, and that's what's interesting too. Yeah, as he says, just do it, do, just it, do it, do it poorly. You don't want it to be good. I know, but I, I really like his his maps of meaning and the the lecture series he's doing on the Bible because yeah. this is more of this is where I think an atheist can really wrap their their head around it because fundamentally they're stories and they yeah. exist for a reason. Yeah, somebody didn't didn't just have a didn't just have a an L. LSD trip and wrote these down. Although in the case of the Book of Revelation, we're not quite sure about that one. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, but I mean, there's stories to help. I think too, to help define life you and find your place in it too. Because we we came from being Catholic, and most Catholics stop being Catholic. Yes, and it's never taught that it's literal. No, it never was taught. It was taught that it was stories. The Catechism is the most important in the Catholic Church, not the Bible. What's the catechism again? The catechism is the collection of the, the Catholic teachings. Yes. You know, like no birth control. Yeah. The oh, doctrine yeah. of the Virgin yeah, yeah, Mary. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you mean the word of the Pope? <laughs> the word, yeah, the the word, word of the Pope. the Pope? When the Pope speaks hey, ex-cathedra as the head of the Catholic Church, his word is Follow 
follow him on Twitter and you get all your sins forgiven. Yeah. You remember that? No, I didn't. That I happened didn't a few years ago. I forget when the Pope got Twitter. Um, that sounds I, that sounds like some uh, a televangelist would say. Yeah. Oh my gosh, is Pope Francis turning into a televangelist? Yeah, I don't remember if it was Pope... A tweet evangelist. Well, I don't know if it was Pope Francis or Pope Benny. I think it was Pope Francis. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure it was. Pope Benny. Yeah. Benny. Great job, Catholic Church. It's picking an ex-Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> he was a he was a placeholder. He was a placeholder. It was so weird. That was the first time a pope quit. He didn't quit. He's he resigned. He resigned. He wasn't the only pope in history to do that, but the first one in like three hundred years, I think they said. Yeah, I think I think the fact is is that the Catholic Church is a gangster organization. That have you ever read a history of the popes? The oh. shit they the shit they did in the past. Pretty awful in shit. In the ancient world and the medieval world. What about the Pretty what about the Crusades? Like, guess Crusades, what? Yeah. We're getting our asses kicked. Yeah. So send all your twelve year olds to go to war. Yeah. And they got butchered. Like mm-hmm. a bunch it, it's crazy. But anyways, growing up Catholic, I think that <laughs> we look at them as stories. But we know that we're missing something. There's not a meaning. There's a there's a fundamental meaning that we're missing. And then you talk to people that are Protestant and you're like, What the fuck are you talking about? You think those those stories actually happened? That's not consistent across the board. No, it's not. Protestant is anything that's not Catholic. However, Episcopalians fall into that category too. Yeah, that's the ex-Church of England. Mm-hmm. Catholic light. Yeah, Catholic light. Lutherans kind of Catholic light too. Lutherans are kind of Catholic light, right. But they don't believe in the Eucharist. No. Which, for anybody that doesn't know what the Eucharist is, when you're Catholic... You actually believe that you are committing cannibalism every fucking weekend. And when you eat that bread, you're actually eating the flesh of Jesus Christ. And drink that wine, the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ. So we are cannibalistic vampires. That's a motorcycle. Yes. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's it's um stories. There's powerful things in the stories, just like the Bhagavad Gita. Mm-hmm. Um the Tao Te Ching, all that stuff. I think there's there's stories, and I think that if you don't unpack those stories correctly, like mm-hmm. I remember, I met this guy. He was an artist, and he had this picture, this painting, and it was of David and Goliath, mm-hmm. and it basically just kind of symbolized that David and Goliath is is to symbolize that we all have the Goliath in our lives that we have to conquer. Mm-hmm. And then once you do that, you can become your own hero. Insurmountable odds. Yeah, and I think that w- that was kind of what I got out of it. And I started to like break them down as stories. And I think you know, listening to them break down Adam and Eve made a lot of sense. You know, why do you feel self conscious? Because women makes man un- self conscious. Man makes woman self conscious. Yeah. You see the the body of a woman, the fruit. Our eyes are designed to see fruit. They're designed to see snakes. And yeah. it's just like what and. And these yeah. are all these are all Jordan Peterson's interpretations. Yeah, yeah. do you listen to his podcast? He's got a lot of his lectures do, yeah. on his podcast. Yeah, I'm I'm not quite through it. His one interview was he he does some decent interviews. I didn't I I went away from him at first because I wanted to hear more lectures, mm-hmm. and then I actually listened to him and they were pretty good. He's so. been on Joe Rogan a couple times. A couple times he's been on Dave Rubin. Do you like the Rubin Report? I don't listen to Dave Rubin. Dave gets usually guests before Joe, and then Joe will jump on it. Okay. I like Dave because he's a reformed liberal as well. He's more of a classical liberal. He was working with the Young Turks, and he just saw the way that 
Yeah, uh, jerks were going off the deep end. Well, I, like Sank treated Sam Harris actually. Like, yeah, he wasn't very fair. Like, here's the thing. Like, I'm not gonna. I don't I can't stand the young jerks. No. Oh my god, Jesus. they're the worst. They're the worst. I can't stand a lot of shit, honestly. But, yeah. um, and that that's that's the other thing too. It's Jordan Peterson is is in a class all by himself. But then again, for somebody like me somebody like you when you listen to it it's just like all right i can really get into this yeah this makes sense because it doesn't follow the standard party line yeah it's certainly not going off on the deep end that everything in the bible is wrong it's useless throw it out yeah you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, man i think that's just that's just kind of yeah. it and i don't and that's why i don't like to take on that label of atheist which I like to troll Rich because Rich owns the fuck out of it. And it's pretty funny, actually. It's funny <laughs> to get him worked up about it. I actually enjoy it. And I wouldn't want to change him. Like, I like him. I like him the way he is. He's like, he's so atheist. It's so funny. He's like, yeah, I'm not a fundamentalist, though. That's not a real thing. I'm like, well. You're a fundamentalist atheist. Yeah. Yeah. But they're like, that's impossible because I'm atheist. I feel like we should get him on if we're going to talk about him some more. Yeah, we we'll should. go troll him. Let's go troll him. All right, guys, we're going to end this podcast. We're going to go troll Rich. And uh, Rich, when you listen to this, you'll know where this came from. Yes. So, right. Drew, this, Drew, this was fun. I mean, we should do this again next we time. We should, yeah. Next time you come in town, we definitely will. I did a Joe Rogan-esque podcast, two hours and 11 minutes. I'm only two hours away, and then I could be like a Joe Rogan podcast right there. Is this your longest podcast? No. No, I've done some some long ones. Um, one time I did a 24 hour podcast with a guy. This is before a 24 hour podcast. Yeah, I helped it. We were trying to raise money for this thing. It's on the old feed. It's, <laughs> I think they used to call those telethons. Yeah, it kind of was, but I don't, I don't really associate with most of the people that were there. It's just, it's not that they're bad people. It's just, I just went a different direction. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, back in the days of comedy shows and pre that, and like, it was kind of like before I recognized what I actually had with this podcast. Like, I have an opportunity to shape my own voice and be my own person. Mm-hmm. So I was still trying to figure out what that was. And instead of just going out there and creating my own audience, I was trying to piggyback into this, like, this community, this death squad community that we were a part of. It's weird. I wonder if anybody has listened. I don't think anybody's listened to the show since the beginning. I think I've probably recite like gone through different listeners. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people that jumped on from the beginning of this new feed that I created. Mm-hmm. But so there's an old RSS feed that was through talk shoe. And then there's one when I decided I was going to take this seriously on my own website. Cause Charles kind of pushed me to do it. He goes, you know, man, I could repost your stuff in the blog if you had a website. Yeah. And I was like, okay. You got to have some kind of a web presence. Yeah. So I did everything. I just was like, you know what? I don't need a web presence. I'm just going to focus on being a good podcaster. Mm-hmm. And then I felt like I got to that point and here I am. Yeah, because there's some people that uh, they actually don't have websites. They just do it on YouTube and they do podcasts. Yeah. That's what their presence is. That's great. Or they might have just a token web presence. You know, here's my blogger. Yeah, I think that's a weird thing, too. There's like the weird people that uh, Snapchat their whole life. And that movie, The Circle, was a big pile of shit. But the the message that... 
And when I think it is, is because of Emma Watson, what was weird was they thought people hated her. It's like the last Tom Hanks movie, and Emma Watson's the main character. Mm-hmm. And they reshot the movie. They reshot all of Emma Watson's scenes because the test audiences hated her so much. And then, I wonder why. And then with the new scenes, they hated her even more. <laughs> <laughs> so ladies and gentlemen this so, is what you call a downgrade so the, not an upgrade yeah so the movie did really awful and it's but like i kept thinking about it because it was like there i go again saying it was like i i i hate it it, it was interesting because the concept stuck in my head like when you put yourself out there on the internet mm-hmm. you actually can kind of transcend a normal life but there's consequences to it of course there is and it's it's so it's 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 interesting like there's there's this girl i don't know how she started following me what is i don't even remember her name but she's my snapchat friend and she puts all of her stuff out on snapchat like she has all these stories and she does all this weird shit and it's and she lives in la and i just wonder like is she really happy like, is that really what you enjoy doing? Do you, you know, somebody said the same thing about people who do that on Facebook, and they say it's the curated self. Yeah, and you're only seeing the highlight reels. Yeah, you're only seeing the highlight reels. It's weird. The curated self. I I love that phrase. I've I've actually felt a lot better since I got off. I don't use Facebook nearly as much. I barely am on Facebook. I'm barely on Instagram. And I was just like, you know what I need to do? I just need to focus on my work. Mm-hmm. Before, I feel like I'd just like, take photos and be like, look what I'm doing. And then it was like, but I'm not really doing anything. Here's me walking in the door. Yeah. Here's me when the door is closing behind so me. Now when Here's me walking up to the yeah, counter. Yeah. So now when there's pictures, it's me sitting in a chair saying, Drew doing work today. Because it's funny. Like, yeah. I'd, I'd rather have pictures of me doing nothing. And then people say, yeah, Drew just does nothing. Because it's funny. You know what you could do? Hmm. You could uh, take pictures of yourself in a far side type of pose. Remember the far side? <laughs> when he's pushing on the door that says pull? Yeah. Or like the two cowboys, one of my favorite ones. He goes, latte, Jed? <laughs> That's a classic one. Yeah. Or the one of the scientists, you know, the one he draws this, um, this complex formula on the left side of the board. And then on the right side of the board, it's the, the continuation of the formula but in the middle it says and then a miracle happens and the other scientist is saying i have a question about this part (laughs) (laughs) it's funny yeah all right i think that's a good way to end it all right guys thanks for coming hey if people tim if people want to contact you or pick your thoughts or ask you why you think jd vance is a fraud (laughs) just kidding i'll put it out there jd vance is a fraud no he's not i don't know that's a good title of the podcast <laughs> yeah, everyone would listen. That's to going it. to get a lot of attention. It will, and it will have nothing to do with JD Vance. The very <laughs> beginning, and the very end. Yeah, yeah. Well, if people want to find me, they can just find me on Facebook because we're friends. We are friends. Yes, I did put you in mixed mental arts too. There's a lot of uh, I like that group. There is a lot of yeah. I should start getting more into that intellectual masturbation going on though. Like, have you read this book? Yes. What did you think of this person? The Hunter, I like Hunter because he's a good troll. And I appreciate a good troll. I think I would put myself in that category too because I'll, I'll, I'll troll people on LinkedIn for some of the inane things they put up there. You troll? So there's a LinkedIn trolling. Hold on a second. What oh, do you yeah, do? Yeah. What do you do on LinkedIn? 
Well, it's I mean, the professional well, I mean, world. I'll do it on Facebook too. Like every so often, it's there's some inane things because I think LinkedIn is slowly degenerating into Facebook in some respects. Oh, it totally is. But it's better than Facebook. And and it's like um, Microsoft owns it now. Of course, it's going to turn into garbage. It's like like you know somebody puts up a quote from Steve Jobs, and I'll say something like Steve Jobs is dead. <laughs> You know, which, which is which is true, and it's like, can you get over yourself? Yeah, Steve Jobs is <laughs> Steve dead. Steve Jobs is dead. <laughs> All right, the next time so I see a quote from a dead person, I'm going to write that. Okay, this person's dead, or that name is dead. What do people? How do people respond? Oh, I, I, I mean, some people will like it because they get the joke. Other people will just say, "How can you say that about Jobs?" <laughs> Just like we, just like you do trolling anybody else, you know, you're going to have some people who are just like, I like Steve, Drew. Steve, I like Steve Drew. Jobs is dead. <laughs> that's the new, that's the new name of the podcast. Steve Jobs, Steve is, Jobs dead. is dead. I think that's where we decided. All right, so that plane is is telling us to end the show. Thanks for coming on, Tim. Sure, we should do this again. Absolutely.